The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 229 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But... On this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully, it's before the fight. Um, as I tweeted on Twitter, this was uh, the third. This is the third time I'm sitting down to record this podcast. Uh, first time was last night, which was Wednesday night. Um, uh, the, the night that I promised a day ahead for this big card, I uh, sat down with uh, Jordan Fiegelman. At Ordination Sports, drop the O there, uh, for some fantasy talk, you know, amongst many things that I and this podcast have been lacking, slacking for you, the few of you, but for you, it has been fantasy and fantasy talk, and obviously it's been lacking uh, with my content, uh, which I'm not complaining about because I still have more than I know what to do with as far as that goes. Um... But yeah, so we're going to bring him on later. That's still good. That that was recorded fine. That was all grand. Uh, unfortunately, just, just the body and the voice uh, were both just shutting down. And uh, it was not going to be good. You've heard me try to power through it before, so it was, would have been bad. So I set my alarm up uh, early to just knock out the very last of the uh, tape study I needed to do. Because as you'll hear in the later, 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 uh, later segment, I wasn't done. Uh, with my tape study and, and kind of still, to be honest, I'll just full disclosure, still didn't get as much done as I'd like to do. It's a crazy week. I, I will get into that slash get into the breakdown more importantly soon enough here. Um, but yeah, so I, I set my alarm, wake up, get some of it done. Of course, the time as you will. It's, it's not as easy as just waking up and doing it. And there's, there's, there's still stuff, uh, you know, catching up on the news cycle, emails, setting up show topics, uh, guest research. All that fun stuff that you guys don't care about behind the scenes that, that consume uh, consume my mornings. And uh, needless to say, I was I was running behind, so I only had time to record just the Connor and Khabib part of the breakdown. And said, so, you know what, looking at the clock now, I'm going to have to run on you guys. I'll finish the rest after the show and after you know I, I eat, because uh, it's the first time I get to eat uh, during the day is usually after after the show. And that, that is now. Uh, Thursday afternoon, the press conference. Uh, just wrapped. Um, I kind of got got caught into that. I'm not gonna lie. And again, these things add up, and hence Dan is is, is getting to you a whole day uh, later than he promised, but still earlier than he usually delivers. So take it for what you will. And for the thousandth time on this uh, podcast, uh, I apologize for letting you down. So thank you for the hardcore few who still listen. Thank you for listening to last week's show. Shout out to Connor Rebush. Uh, at Boxing Bush, B-U-S-C-H, uh, for coming on the show for Top 5 Hook KOs. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that show. I, I did. It was d definitely fun. Uh, meaning to get Connor on for a minute. 
And again, I'm just, I'm just a bad podcast host. I'm very bad at booking. Anybody who's booked with me can attest to that. So, um, so yeah, to, 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 uh, to no one's fault but mine, but glad I could make it happen. Hopefully you guys dug it and, and with some, some nice content for you. Um, but uh, try as I may to get ahead for this week. Uh, I have failed, but you guys will still at least be getting my, my, my picks before they hit on a Junkie, which um, after I wrap this, I get to, yay, all my analysis and the outline is done, but I get to write, write up uh, three fight summaries which is fun that I, I was aiming I already have done. Eh, neither here nor there, nor, nor should you care. But, yeah, we're, uh, it's going to be a, a late night. So, uh, yeah, I apologize. Kind of like uh, I did in the part of the podcast that I, I, I recorded the second part to, which, by the way, left you hanging on that thought there. I ended up deleting it because uh, as salty as I sound now, I was maybe because Dan Tom's not a morning person. Um, yet I worked radio and worked construction for years, yet still not a morning person. It's just how I'm wired. Uh, it was even saltier, so it was almost an angry version. And and and, and <laughs> you can't really say it got any better because uh, just a, a number of, of MMA and non-MMA related things that have happened since this morning till now. And, and But as far as MMA related things go, most of the pet peeve things I ranted about ended up coming up on the show. So uh, as for usual, the show got my... Uh, my high energy, my best energy. Uh, so for you junkie radio listeners, at least you got that there. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to do my best to bring it for you guys um, here on the Patek Neck Podcast. I know it feels like the bastard stepchild I live leave in the basement. And uh, whatever time, energy uh, I have left, I scrape it off like a crumbs on a plate onto the floor. But uh, that, that is not how I mean to treat this podcast or you, believe me. It is It's hard, hard to believe. It is my pride and joy. So... Um, Again, we're gonna to get to uh, we're gonna to get to the, the fantasy talk to compensate for, for for my lack thereof, but for any lack thereof in the place, because I'm gonna tell you straight up again, spoiler alert. Um, it's gonna be real light in the ass as far as anything I'm recommending for, as far as plays. I'm, I'm gonna be giving you guys analysis for every fight as per usual, talking about betting lines and, and leans, angles, and all that. But as far as plays, where I'll usually recap Dan recaps his picks and plays at the end, it probably won't be any of that. Maybe I'll just recap the picks, of course, but but. There's not going to be a lot of sorry for the squeaking. It's my chair. There's uh, not going to be a lot of uh, any plays, but um, I give way too many shout outs on this podcast. I'm always giving shout outs. It doesn't matter if it's journals, fans, listeners, uh, cappers, uh, other podcasts. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm always doing that. And, and oftentimes, the same people, you guys, you guys might, might be tired of that. So I wanted to give an, a shout-out to someone different I haven't mentioned in this podcast. And kind of an apropos time since I'm talking about my shortcomings <laughs> as far as picks, plays, on-time analysis. But uh, uh, I just wanted to give a, give a shout-out to, to, to Rob Brown. I don't, I don't know him personally, just one of you know the many people I know through Twitter, uh, which, as you guys know, ironically these days, it's not like before. You know, it's, it, it, Especially if you're just wrapped into this uh, MMA sphere, you end up just... just seeing people more on Twitter than you see people in your real life, sadly. Uh, but uh, I, I, not necessarily the case for Mr. Brown here, but I just wanted to give him a shout-out as far as for... Because, again, I, people hit me up all the time as far as, like, hey, Dan, what's your lean on plays and this and that? I don't mind. You guys know I banter back and forth with you. I appreciate you. But uh, especially weeks like this where it's crazy, and you know, I really have a hard time getting back uh, getting back to people. Or I just know you degenerates are out there. You might be fiending for a little more. And, again, I feel like I'm, I'm giving you short just a... Uh, you know, and, and one of the many uh, betting cappers out there at Rob Brown Betting, Rob Brown Betting dot com. Uh, dude does well, man. Uh, 
uh, dude, dude, dude does well for himself, and I uh, just wanted to give him a shout. Anyways, um, and of course, shouts to everybody out there. All, all, all the other savages are doing their same things. I know I'm, I'm tempted to fall in that trap where I'm going to start naming people, and then I'm going to have to name everybody. But you guys know I, I love you all, and uh, we got some special shout-outs for the fantasy, uh, for the fantasy peeps and the fantasy section coming up. So st stay tuned for that. We're going to do things a little different, though, as far as the breakdown. Eight minutes and, and change in. Not too bad, Dan. Not too bad. Um, I'm going to skip, like, topics as far as, uh, you know, talking about anything like uh, UFC, uh, UFC 230. Yeah, we, we all react kind of death on that, and that'll probably come up just within... Association of conversation, but as far as press conferences and all that bullshit, open workouts, that so much of this will be just tied into the uh, McGregor Habib breakdown portion of the breakdown, which I'm going to be starting. Usually, Dan goes from bottom to top, but by the time I get to that top, you know, fight, as a lot of you guys noticed, Dan Thomas just you know again talking about scraping the plate off, you know, what's left, what's left over. I mean, boy, I'm just I'm I'm just squeezing blanks out. You know, well, that sounds really bad. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Jesus Christ. But yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what it feels like. You're like, what is this shit, Dan? And I'm just like, ah, I'm tired. Just go read the poop right now. I'm joking. And I do that shit. Uh, so, again, there's so much tied to this top fight. It's such a big topic. And people are so fucking heated about it. As they all about are, as they are about all McGregor fights because of his, his goddamn crazy fan base. But there's another side to that, which I'll get into here in a second. And uh, we'll work our way down. Um, to the prelims, which again, uh, full disclosure, I kind of uh, there there are some fights that I went light on and or are making some bias picks on anyways. So you're not going to be, yeah, don't. You guys can wait for that. I'm sure. I'll take it a sip of a stump down nitrogen coffee, which you only have to drink half of because it's so loaded with caffeine and. <clears throat> oh, I went down the wrong pipe there. With Dan Tom's uh, caffeine tolerance. Um, I'm going to get headaches, but I will be more awake, yes? Yeah, the four-hour intervals I've been sleeping in on fights like, you know, four hours a night, I should say, on fight nights like these or fight weeks like these. Um, it's uh, it's catching up to me, so that's probably, that probably is part and parcel of the saltiness. So, all right. Without further making you, you, you savage, savages wait. I got lines pulled up here if they didn't expire, and they did because Dan talks too long. But, um, oh boy. Conor McGregor versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. By the way, guys, uh, so many of you are in town, and another part of the reason why I'm salty, and shout out to the Junkie Gathering. Uh, MA Junkie Radio listeners gather about uh, once a year. It's been, it's been going on for quite some time now. Uh, and uh, it, it's this week. Uh, they chose the time of the, the big... Uh, Conor McGregor fight week, uh, if you will, and um, not as much events as maybe uh, uh, past uh, past years for both the gathering and let's be honest, the UFC, uh, as far as their big fight weeks go. But uh, it's still great to see everybody. That's all what matters. It doesn't matter what events you're doing. It matters that you're hanging out, and that's what I appreciate. Good company. Um, I haven't really got to enjoy that, sadly, and I'm, I'm probably am not going to. Looking forward to some Texas Day Brazil is the highlight of my week tomorrow, but. Judging by everything, I probably won't have time for that. You guys, uh, neither here nor there, don't care. I understand, but I just wanted to give a shout out to the Junkie Nation as well, as a lot of uh, this brings a lot of uh, 
not just fans, but MMA media members who I don't often get to see. And sadly, it's a trend that I don't get to see even when they're in town. And not their fault, totally mine, but it just, just sucks is all I'm trying to say. I, I do miss you guys. I do think about you guys. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, Dan Tom is on his own grind and it's on his own doing. So uh, I'm not I'm not playing a violin, believe me. I'm not complaining. Just 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 saying I miss you guys. And and, and, and part, part of the saltiness here is, is not as having to be able to, to miss out on stuff. I I miss being a fan sometimes. I'll just say that, guys. You know? Yeah. Easy to paint us all with the media brush stereotype, and, you know, I should be uh, a little numb to that, but being that Dan Tom is a, not just was such a hardcore fan for so long, but, you know, sacrificed and given himself to not just the uh, in training for the sport, but just martial arts my whole life. It's just, I, I do carry a, a different kind of attachment. I, I, can, I come from a much different, I'm cut from a much different cloth than most people, especially in the media. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, I find myself in a funny place a lot of times <laughs> because of that by nature, but, but especially, especially big weeks like this, I feel very torn. But, Khabib Nurmagomedov is the favorite, minus 175. Conor McGregor, come back on him, plus 155. Now, again, let me state this for, like, the billionth time. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov deserves to be the favorite. Um, I was very tempted to pick him. It's a much safer pick, I believe me. I don't need the grief of... Uh, I'd rather much have grief of the, the annoying Conor McGregor fan base than just having the unpopular pick amongst colleagues hardcores and which I'll be getting into the Nurmaga Madoff fan base which I would argue especially is just as bad in the McGregor fan base now by mass numbers no by splitting hairs this example for this example which one's annoying no I think the McGregor fans are more annoying in that sense too what I'm saying is the red team versus blue team bullshit that exists in this fucking country, the United States especially, but it's just inherent in our human nature. You look at like sports like soccer because that's one of the biggest global things, right? Uh, and just how, how fucking crazy people get because my team versus your team. Like, can't we just fucking like our teams and have friendly fucking rivalries, friendly competitiveness? But no, we always got to fucking take it over the line. Um, and, uh, and yeah, anyways, it's just, you, then you just get annoying fans. So that's, that's, that's kind of the psych, at least my take on the psychological byproduct of that. So what I mean is by the fans or supporters, I should say in this case, just as annoying is, you know, you go out there and saying, ah, he's got, Connor's got no shot. Uh, oh, Khabib time. Like that's just, that is just as bad as uh, I shit on bus and, whatever you want to, however you want to stereotype or criticize the McGregor fan, right? Um, and secondly, believe it or not, guys, whether or not you share Dan Tom's feelings about red team versus blue team or side versus side, but you can actually make a pick in a fight and not be a fanboy of the person. Yeah, you can actually pick the fighter and not be a fanboy. No, that's crazy. Guess what? I, I, I try to bottle those emotions because it seems so fucking hard for most of you to comp comprehend. You can also pick a winner in a fight and wait for it. Wait for it. Like, hold on, hold on. And respect both fighters. Holy fucking shit. 
Holy fucking shit. And uh, and if it's your job to uh, analyze something fairly, well, then goddamn, I'm going to do that. But I will admit that I, Dan Tom paints things aside from, you know, questioning his own sanity by continually speaking the third person. <laughs> he... He does. He does have a contrarian, strong contrarian bias, which, which is why, I, part of me almost, you know, even if I didn't pick McGregor, which again could be. Let me remind people who are sharpening their knives because all they hear is "What the pick is this? Light the fucking torches, man! Retard parade!" And I use the fucking R word. Get over it. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Where was I? I'm I'm, sitting, I'm too busy painting visuals to to uh, distract myself. But uh, about my oh yeah yeah um. But even if I picked Nurmagomedov, I would still feel it a duty to, as I do with many matchups, I'm, I'm consistent with this. You go and look through to remind yourself of the other side of it, you know? Um, even when I don't pick against a guy, I'm making sure to, uh, when I don't pick somebody, I'm always trying to be fair and represent their game. Not just represent their game fairly, but remind you of things that you might have forgotten about that are being lost in the narrative. And this whole just can't wrestle or it's just as bad as saying Khabib can't strike. I pick on Khabib's perceived striking holes, but I, I say all the time, we're still talking about a top-level fighter. We're still talking about a guy that, that, shows, in, that shows improvements. And, uh, you, know, so, you know, commenters, of course, on the breakdown, oh, because they just read the supplemental info and they go, how can you say shows improvements? What about the fucking Ally Quinta fight, bro? And it's like, well, all those calories you just spent to comment, bro, you could have just read the breakdown, bro. Uh, and you would see that I, I, I talked about those things, bro. And the improved striking is, comes from he showed improved shelling and striking flow in the Edson Barbosa fight. Uh, but I do talk about, yeah, he, he played it way too fast and loose in exchanges in the Ally Quinta fight, which I will, I will tie all that in later and talk, t t t touch on all that later. But of course, people don't 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 read. They they just fucking comment on the breakdowns and uh, they click away on fucking <laughs> bullshit blurb and quote stories instead. And yet, it's the media's fault for uh, putting that stuff out there when y'all are clicking on that and and not not not. Uh, and I'm not talking about me and my. I mean, there's plenty of uh, 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 not just other sites, duh, no brainer, Dan's, but more to my point, um, sites that could use, you know, uh, that I don't work for, sites that, that do great jobs that I don't work for, I could use, but I don't, I don't see a lot of that going on. It's a lot of me, 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 especially fight, fight weeks like this. Everybody gets, hung, you know, really hungry and. It's hard not to get caught up in the chaos, you know. Your your tweets are getting extra likes and retweets about this time this week, and you just see, especially you see like journos fucking going at it, dude. Like uh, the damn presser. What was that dude? That, I don't know if he had the. He was the guy with the suede jacket, but he was the dude that was trying to fucking get uh, bringing up the whiskey. Let's talk about whiskey for a second, because you know people haven't talked about that enough, and I'll bring that up in a second too. Um, but that guy, he looked like an emaciated Jeff Goldblum, but he like I don't know if it was a. Uh, Casper Dennis from Submission Radio, but it looked like he shoulder checked like one of the um, journalists who was just having their phone up. It wasn't even like in his frame or whatever, but I guess he was worried that one of the cameras on him might have been in his way. Like fucking shoulder checks him down, and like um, I'm sure other journals will be giving you their uh, their takes uh, media day. But I saw some stuff like you know just of course you know fucking non-MMA journalists or new journalists just don't know how to conduct themselves with fucking scrums and just a bunch of bullshit like that. Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm tangenting off, but 
Oh, where the fuck was I? Sorry about that. I, I'm off the rails here, but I'm going to take a sip and collect myself. But yeah, it, it's just, uh, sorry, as you can tell, it's just, just emotions, you know, not a lot of sane, not a lot of sane talk, you know, uh, you know, who was talking about this, this sanely and another shout out, uh, Ryan McKinnell. Uh, he's covering for uh, Luke Thomas. Uh, a lot of times in these big Vegas shows, Luke Thomas, uh, if you guys listen to his show, uh, it's uh, one of our uh, sister shows there in the um, MMA, I don't know, we just rebroadcast our series, Fight Nation 93, there it is. Uh, we should, they uh, borrow our studio, so they're they're in like right after us on like uh, Thursdays and Fridays, uh, Luke and uh, Ryan and uh, uh, King of Banter. Shout out to those guys, all great guys, by the way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was talking about it in a much more sane manner. And he was, uh, he's also a, a pro Khabib guy, by the way, and, and picking Khabib, but even he was admitting, uh, and then not to eavesdrop or, or, you know, burn, burn anything they were talking about the show, but you know, he, he was admitting things, which I, I will get into my own takes here as far as that goes, but it just seems so hard for people to have back to what I was saying. There it is. You know, people to have just a level, a balanced take, you know, and I get, you know, having fun with it. Like, by the way, shout out to Hal from Chicago. I had a great call, uh, but uh, pro Khabib call, you know, just saying, uh, you know, it's almost very Joey Diaz-esque. But, you know, in that theme, he was Joey Diaz-esque. It was, it was comedic, you know, like, Hal had a comedic take to it. I'm all for that. I'm not saying we can't fucking have fun. I'm not that much of an old man where, like, you can't sometimes get on the lawn without me shouting on you. You know what I'm saying? And more importantly, there's also the inside joke factor, which is how, for any of you guys have seen a Bronx Tale, how's the fucking mush? How's uh, how's mushed a lot of things, you know, uh, from Manchester teams like, you know, uh, organizations like Manchester United to uh, the recent Demetrius Johnson fight. Um, how's a known mush when he comes in strong on a take that person almost always loses? And uh, he came in cheering Khabib and George and goes who are very pro-Khabib, uh, were just sinking in their seats like, oh, fuck, no, how's the mush is on Khabib, oh, no. So if uh, Khabib loses, you guys could blame Hal from Chicago. Um, so, again, I don't, I don't mind all that, but you, 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 you got a lot of just one-sided, like, oh, you know, and, and especially, you know, people who wrestle are just very like, oh, it's wrestlers, you know, da, da, da. like, I get it. I, I fucking get it. I love wrestlers, too. I, um... I'm not even against gra uh, grinding. It's not that I'm a fan of grappling. You know, a lot of people are a fan of grappling, but they're only a fan of fun and grappling. They're not a fan of, like, like I, I was the kind of person where I could watch a John Fitch fight, put it that way. And if you saw my grappling style in class, I got labeled a grinder. I didn't want to be. I wanted to finish. But you just, you know, once you get a certain top a feel for, for, for top game and how to punish somebody and really dominate and float position, it, it became as fun as uh, as scoring a submission by the end of practice, just being able to dominate around and float from your favorite positions and just, just you know, feeling that dominance. And uh, I get it. I'm a fan of it. Mostly I take the grappler over the striker on this. Um, but again, not, it's not just the fact that, well, I took Michael Johnson against Khabib. Well, I got to take Connor. Uh, you know, obviously the archetype is there, sure, stylistically, which has been talked to death, you know. Um, but... You know, it's just that it's that the oh the angles and the counter left hand like that woo woo talk is you know as bad as you might think that sound like to me that's how like the oh, but he's undefeated, but he's undefeated. No one's beat him. 
It could be time. Wrestling. Like these hot words, you know? It's like, it just, it just feels very, you know, oh, he's, he's one against heavyweights. He tosses light heavyweights and middleweights around. And it just feels very Rousey-esque, you know? And a lot of the times we, we get this way with strikers because we get wooed with spinning shit. But I also think we get this way with grapplers because <clears throat> for the most part, we understand what striking looks cool and what doesn't. And when someone gets knocked out and when someone, you know, or when someone scores a good knockout and scores a bunch of good knockouts, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to catch on. But when someone scores a submission, though statistically there's a lot less lucky uh, submissions, we're, we're less impressed by that. Even us who are impressed by it, we're less impressed by it. And grappler heavy guys, we're less as excited about it. You know, the the inside the distance lines usually re reflect that too. They're not as they're not as not as much money is coming in on those. And we're, and so when somebody's doing something that usually we're either writing off and or don't understand, when someone's good at it, and then the people who know what they're talking about in the sport go goo goo gaga -ga over this guy. They go, oh, well, this guy's going goo-goo-gaga. And this, they see this other guy go goo-goo-gaga. And then this other guy goes, media guy goes goo-goo-gaga. And then they all start catching on, right? And the next thing you know, you have this fucking myth. And we had Javier Mendez in our studio. And if you're a Khabib supporter, again, you should be. He, he's, he's the favorite for a reason. You should be worried about the things Javier said. And one of the things, maybe not to be worried about, but one of the, the myths I wanted to break that I keep referring to, like, you know, who could be trained with? And he was like, he's like, dude, he hasn't trained with anybody above his weight since 2012. We don't let that happen. And it's only been in since the four, first four camps that he's actually training more than the last couple of weeks at camp with us. That's why I've only been able to work with him with the striking first four, first four camps. Hence, reinforcing what I said in my breakdown as far as showing improved striking. That's because, oh, I get it. Yeah, he's only been able to work with him. And the reason why he, was, he, he, he didn't look as improved in the Ally Quinta fight is because he went off game plan. And Javier Mendez not only admits this, but again, once again, with us, and I've seen in other interviews, reiterates that he doesn't know what Khabib's going to do. That's not good. Now, he trusts Khabib because, again, Khabib's Khabib. Khabib's undefeated. Khabib's the destroyer. Khabib's the wrestler. Okay. But... The way I look at it is we have three fights in a row. The most relevant fights were Khabib one against Game Plan. Now, he looked fucking cool as shit doing it against Michael Johnson. But even in that fight, he got the most hurt, uh, right, arguably. The most tagged, the most in trouble in that first round. And not only that, what people don't talk about is in the second round, he was on, the way, on his way to doing the same thing. He defended two, if not three, uh, takedowns before he was on his way to defending his second, if not, again, his third takedown in that round before Valentin terribly going for a guillotine, which was stupid, and sealed his deal because he was not able to re uh, to uh, recover, like the following two opponents I'm about to mention, from Khabib's second wave of damage, um, and which left him severely compromised and was finished soon thereafter coming in third, I believe, right? Yeah, and uh, then... Against Barboza, he allows the fight to go on admittedly longer than it needs to be. But if you look, he stops able to being able to take Barboza down consistently in the third. Uh, Barboza, I believe, is defend if not two or three and starts to land significant strikes, more significant strikes than he landed in any of the other rounds, including a spin kick to the head. Now, it didn't catch Khabib all that great, and Khabib took it like 
a champ because again, Khabib has got a, a chin on him, and I think that the Connor supporters thinking that Khabib's going to get knocked out in one punch are foolish because although Connor's power is spooky, um, I don't know if it's that spooky, and Khabib has not seen a lot of statistics thrown around that are just kind of irrelevant or bullshit statistics or that are really perspective excuse me perspective based but you know the man hasn't been knocked down and even though I believe most believe he was rocked against Johnson it was one of those things where it gets in a sub subjective territory land right uh, and the man hasn't been knocked down or knocked out so there's that um so again, I'm not I'm not like one sided here. Like I believe me, I, I, I there are stereotypes that are in the favor of my pick that I don't buy either. So this isn't just me picking on Nurmaga Madoff, but I just seeing such a strong stereotype, and, and I I feel like the other side has to be represented because again, the Connor fans don't obviously don't do the best job at re let's be honest, they don't do the best job at representing themselves. Um, and though I'm not a Connor fan or fanboy. <laughs> Uh, I am picking him and feel like I, I, I at least owe you a very detailed explanation as to why. That's, that's why I do this, this this thing, right, I guess. But, yeah. Um, and another thing, and, and what Javier said was not just uh, about the, the training and kind of he himself squashed a lot of those fallacies, mind you. But talking about the training in general and stereotypes, about we, had, we were talking about AKA and the injury rates, and he was explaining about how, how, why that came about and what he's done to change that. And he explained how communication essentially, and it's a long thing about communication that was really good. And I like Javier Menez Lightake. I'm not, I'm not picking on him here when I'm saying this. I'm just pointing to some very relevant facts uh, from the horses' mouths themselves. That's all. And explaining how these changes went about and brought down 50% of AKA's injury rate. Great. Fucking great, Javier. Stop there. But Javier kept going. And he said, except there are two guys that still go by the old system. There are two guys that spar every time. There are two guys that spar every time, no matter how they feel, and they call their own shots. And that's DC and Khabib. You could argue that those guys are great. I wouldn't argue that. I know those guys are great. I'm with you on those guys are great. Those guys have also had their shares of injuries and wear and tear, especially, obviously, Khabib, which people forget about. And that, you know, people are already forgetting about the weight issues that he used to have. Like, he's, like, like that's not an issue anymore, which I don't, I don't think it's going to be. I think he has made some changes, by the way. I'm not big on that, tr that train. But the interesting thing about the injury train, uh, the injury theme, is that he does have a rich history of that. And that's bad. If you're a Khabib supporter, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that his coach is saying that. You don't want to hear that his coach is saying and supporting that on such an important fight. And now, again, this is, there's no way to prove this. This is all speculation. This is, I don't, I'm not, uh, let me just say, I, I, I have not personally bet Connor. I'm not sure if I will. I'm not sure if there's a number he can climb to high enough that will make me. All, not only is Khabib the deserved favorite, the value is on Khabib. So any of you betting Khabib Moneyline, I don't think you're crazy. In fact, I wish you luck. I hope your bet goes through. I ain't fucking touching this fight, okay? Um, I picked Johnson to beat Khabib, but it wasn't that confident of a pick, and neither is this. Again, this is very upfront. I have no issue. You can call that hedging call, whatever you want. It's fucking honest, and I think that I've my track record 
my percentage, even though it's suffered lately, the work that I put in, which is unfucking questioned, and what I present to you cannot be questioned. It is truthful analysis. And again, like a like a, a compliment that I received, which I, I appreciate, and I hate to, to, to repeat my own, but this is one bears repeating. Dan Tom doesn't always get the picks right, and I definitely don't always agree with him. But the analysis of the fight's spot on. And I will fucking take that, because I am not claiming to be some fucking pick guru. I do not want to be a fucking pick guru. I do not want to sell you that McGregor's going to win this fight. I don't want to sell you that anybody's going to win any of this fight. I don't fucking care. I do care about breaking down fights, and if you care about that, well, you're already tuning in, and, and thank you. Sorry, I keep getting myself sidetracked here. But what? Uh, back to I guess about about the training. Um, the betting angle, I guess you say about that. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. That was my disclaimer. The betting angle, I guess, about this. And again, I'm not bringing this up to pat myself on the back, but I bring up my my biggest play is what UFC, I believe, 188 when I bet multiple times Fabricio Verdun to beat Cain Velasquez. Now, part of the angle on that bet was. Cain Velasquez was in a similar situation to Conor McGregor, if you guys remember your MMA history correctly. Cain Velasquez was facing Khabib, what Khabib was dealing with injuries, though, after he won the belt, right? Cain's injuries and training style didn't catch up to him until after. That's when they had the interim belt because they, they, they waited for Cain so many times. There were so many bookings of that fight and other fights. Um, to where Kane's record doesn't look that impressive now in hindsight. It looks like he just took turns facing the same guys back and forth for a couple times until he, he lost to Verdum. Uh, right? You know, uh, with the Bigfoot Sylvan de Dos Santos fights is what I'm referring to. And Kane was in a position where he really needed to show up, right? He already missed the first Mexico fight where he had to sit there and give his sad face and fist bump to the camera and phone it in. And there's your spot, Kane, because you're supposed to fucking headline this motherfucker. Like, it, it was embarrassing. It sucked. He had to show up to this. So if Fabricio Verdum in Mexico is a fucking golden ticket, um, what, is I, what is Conor McGregor... In Las Vegas. Well, what are you talking about, Golden Ticket, about showing up? What are you even talking about, Dan? Okay, well, maybe I missed a link there. I guess what I'm talking about is the injuries that Khabib and Kane share, uh, the injury problems and, and training and all these correlations, wrestling, their styles, which I'll get into the wrestling part of it, um, told me that not only was I, you know, just stylistically layoff, elevation, all these things, you know, Fabrizio Verdum looking in his peak form, all these things where I felt the line was a little off in that fight. Um, not only that, but Kane, you know, if he's injured, this fight is so important that if he got injured going into this Mexico city fight back in back to UFC 188 guys, he's got to show up to this motherfucker. Like he's got to show up, you know, like all the pressure from his career to his belt, to the Mexican fans, the promotion, like money, like all these things, like he needed to show up to this fight, to that fight. So that meant that if Kane, who again, like Javier Mendez talking about guys training, and he probably left Kane name off the list for good reason because uh, because of these, you know, they, they, he, he was you know suspect number one, right? They got at least they they had to correct with him, but with that training method back then, especially in mind that my my thinking was that if Kane's injured, he's got to show up to dance anyways. That's not good for him. So as far as intangibles, you look at the definition. I know that that word gets thrown out a lot. This is the actual use of it. 
that's a real intangible. And that intangible will be in the favor of the guy who doesn't pull out of fights, who doesn't get injured. And when he still shows up injured or not, he shows up and he shows up to perform. And Conor McGregor's press conference stuff has been getting cringy. Uh, I've been cringed since UFC 194. I think the last time we saw he, uh, the humble McGregor was post his win, UFC 194. That was a nice, great moment there. But since then, I've not liked this version. Now, this has been the more popular version. That Even you know, media have, have dug a, a lot of points, and I, I haven't dug it. I have not been. That's another thing you know, I hate about this. Because this, this, you, you pick someone, you have to be a fanboy like... You could accuse me, and justfully so, of being a McGregor hater for the past year or year and a half or so with all the antics. I've been a guy that's wanting to come back and fucking defend the belts, stop holding up the divisions. I was against the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Hell, I get hired on a junkie. A large part is due to McGregor, though, because of the bump and that Mayweather-McGregor thing. But with all that outflow, one of my assignments you know, last year was, Dan, we want you to write a Mayweather-McGregor piece, you know, fallout piece and this and that, and... Um, for USA Today and Junkie. And what I did was I took the assignment, but I did it with a twist, and I wrote an anti-Mayweather-McGregor piece tied into anti-these-circus fights. Not super fights, not real super fights, but these fucking circus fights that our sport needs consistency and da-da-da. And I weaved it back into, uh, away from that narrative. If anything, I've... From what I've written, from what I've consistently said on the Junkie Radio, what I've said on my own podcast, what I've tweeted has been anti. And, oh, you know, yes, I oh, I bought fucking proper whiskey. Oh, I, I sampled it in the breakdown, which was thank you for those of you who clearly got the irony or sarcasm. And especially those of you who got the direct comparison to the Wayne's World uh, selling out joke. But, uh, but yeah, you know, all of a sudden you, you're a fucking shill because you, 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 God forbid you buy and drink his whiskey. Dan Tom's been drinking whiskey before bourbon made this fucking comeback in the last three to fucking four years. I've been drinking my shit and neat for longer than that. And I feel like I gave it an honest review, uh, anyways, which wasn't even a great review. And I also gave a, a little bit of one on Twitter with, with them tagged so that they could see it. And it wasn't a very, very nice one. So believe me, I am not trying to suck up to anybody. Uh, uh, you know, it, you know, as far as that goes. And again, before everybody started doing their taste tests, uh, you, you, I had this idea weeks ago and said it on this podcast a couple weeks, if not on last week's podcast before, um, everyone else and their mothers started doing it. But unfortunately, Dan, Tom, despite my best plans, wasn't able to get ahead of it. And, uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't, we didn't, fortunately didn't come strong. Admittedly, got to admit it. Didn't we did not come strong MMA Junkie Radio this week with guests? So um, my 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 brilliant and I say that in obvious quotes uh, quotes uh, taste test thing didn't <laughs> we didn't have that happen until today uh, like Thursday with uh, Mike Jackson. So there goes that and uh, now uh, it's it's been so played out to where these fucking uh, fake journalists are are bringing. Bringing it up and trying to like do plugs for him during the fucking press conference was goddamn ridiculous. I know I'm tirading all over the place. Another sip here. But anyways, back to the injury, uh, back to the injury thing with Cain Velasquez and Verdum, and this applies here. I mean, this you know, this is Khabib's chance to get his chicken, right? This is Khabib's chance, and he's admitting that it's personal. You know, people are like, oh, Khabib's a... And I, I would agree on paper. I, I wasn't expecting any of Connor's head games to work. But again, say what you will about Connor. Like I was like I was saying earlier, his, 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 his press conference shit makes me cringe. 
the dude was probably on coke. The dude, uh, you know, even though I think a lot of it was for show, I think it was for measure. But yeah, he was drinking last week some whiskey at the press conference and who knows what else. But, you know, allegedly, 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 by the way. Okay, all right. Uh, for, for you fucking guys get all crazy over there. But the guy shows up fight time. He shows up and he performs. He consistently makes the best in the world, the more experience and some of the most experience of that division. He consistently makes them look inconsistent. You can hate Connor all you want. You can't fucking deny that. His resume is more impressive than Khabib's. Tony's more impressive than Khabib's. And we'll, we'll get to Tony in a second and the props that that guy fucking deserves. Um... Uh, but, but yeah, um, uh, sorry, it, it, it just gets me, gets me a little fired up and, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, and Khabib, Khabib's going to have to show up for, for this fight, even if he is, uh, injured or not, not feeling well from the weight cut or anything like that. Like this is, this is, you know, and then you, you talk about money stuff and you want to get into that tinfoil hat from Maga Madoff and all that shit or or if you want to you know how much or how much ever how much of that you want to believe but yeah i mean it's an important fight uh for khabib so um you know uh, hopefully he's in, hopefully he really really is i mean i'm not I'm not betting the final interest i'm not saying this with an irony or a wink wink like hopefully he's healthy really you know but that's something if you're a khabib supporter you got to think about that uh you got to think about these things that you know coach i was saying that i don't know what my fighter's going to do in there He's had a mind of, you know, I don't, he's had a mind of his own lately. He trains whether he's hurt or not. He trains whether he's had a bad day or not. He trains whether he slept or not. He's always training hard. And we know he's training hard. He's injury prone. He comes in with bruises. I'm not one to make fucking get all tinfoil hat theory and start deconstructing fucking bruises. Like back in the day when Rich Franklin came in for bruises, I thought that was badass. Oh, fucking dude's training hard. I didn't think anything of it. But. Concussion stuff is real, and when you go and deconstruct these weird, these all these crazy knockouts, and you find out like, you know, certain guys were getting knocked out in camp. You know, like I heard something about. <laughs> I won't say I heard something about Fabricio Verdum. You know, for his fight with Volkov. Um, you know, fucking <laughs> watching. Uh, what was it? Uh, what was his name? The Brazilian cat got knocked out by uh, a UFC 215. Got knocked out by. Kahan Johnson, and just that parlay buster, right? Uh, and Colby, it's probably better that I'm forgetting his name if I say this, and that was the one that, that, that I'm not I'm trying to name drop, but uh, Felder and, and Colby, and Colby said, cause, you know, training at the same gym, said, ah, oh, fucking guy training like a, like a Brazilian. He got knocked out three times in camp. I knew that shit was going to happen. And you hear these things in retrospect, or one that I believe is more public that got out there for us from my own gym before Anderson Silva. You know, how do you get knocked out from a jab and was dizzy and done? Well, he was, he, you know, these guys, a lot of these guys, they get concussed before, beforehand, and then people go, oh, these guys got a bad chin. It's like, it's like, no, dude, they, they got fucked up in their camp, man, and they just went in anyways. They, need, they needed that fight. They weren't going to get that fight. That fight wasn't coming again, or whatever the case is. Everyone's got their story. And they're all important ones because none of these guys are fucking making a lot. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, there, there, there is some, but, but back then I didn't, I obviously didn't think or know any of the sciences or any of the concussion stuff. I didn't think anything. I also, and I, and I still don't think a lot of it, but you know, if Khabib's getting hit with left hands from the beginning of his career 
and he's coming in and doing these pre-fight interviews, and he's got the bruises over his right eye from left hands. He's bringing in guys like Shlomenko, who don't, I don't think, know how to hit soft. Um, you know, and then whoever else, God who knows everyone else at AK. I mean, I mean again, things you things you got to think about is a Khabib supporter there. So uh, my pick. Uh, is uh, is Conor McGregor who I I, I again I I it's not like uh, yeah it's weird I don't I don't, don't want to get too too much into it like I, I don't think even though people aren't talking about the fact that you know I like Quinta and and Edson Barbosa were able to defend takedowns and land significant strikes come round three and start turning things around not to win a round not to win the fight no but. At least to a certain degree, no one talks about. But that doesn't matter. I don't think because I, I don't know if Connor's gonna be able to stage a comeback by then. But you know, who's to say is Khabib is proven in those rounds? You know, uh, he's not any more experienced than Connor. He's less experienced than Connor in those rounds. Training for those rounds included, obviously. Um, but my pick is Conor McGregor by second round TKO. I don't think it's a clean shot. I think he lands him on a couple of times. But Khabib's also gonna get him down at least once. Um, at least once. And uh, the thing is, Khabib's not game over as far, you know. He can be. His submissions are really underrated. Even his guard, we haven't had to see him work from there in a while. Uh, but you go back to his pro FC days, or the brief instances, like in the Trujillo fight where he hits that beautiful sweep. He's got, he's got it there. But like Khabib says, smash, smash. He's let all this talk. Now he's using the word maul. And even people like from Ariel to other people going submission? No, smash. And he wants to play with his food, you know? It's dangerous to play with your food. Yeah, Khabib, Khabib's one of the best. You know who else is one of the best that play with their food? Anderson Silva. It eventually catches up to you. Does that mean he's going to catch up to Khabib at 229? No. In fact, the odds are in favor that it won't. And I, and I concede that. But that doesn't, make, that doesn't make me feel good if I'm a Khabib supporter or if I'm in his corner if he's sitting there fucking toying with McGregor instead of just getting the job done. Just smash the guy and get done. Like literally smash guy. Don't 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 toy with him. You know, make your statement, man. And that's what uh you gotta be hoping for as an Imaga Madoff supporter. But uh I feel like Connor separates off the is, uh, is able to hit a separate hit him off a of separation, you know. Uh Johnson was able to separate nicely off of it and uh Connor's hit separations in similar ways. I don't think they're too much farther off than each other as far as size, strength, or capability. As far as Michael Johnson or Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor has a, a knack for picking up techniques very fast. And it's not even so much the Dennis Seaver dope mount or the Nate Diaz one crew crew sweep that, that, that uh, myself and a lot of people reference. But it's actually that, that, that little instance where, where Eddie Alvarez is trying to take him down against the fence in that first round. Like, he's showing even different takedown techniques than before and more refined, you know. When Eddie goes for a three to four chain where he goes, you know, I think he goes double, single, high crotch, and then chains back into a double, he's making all the adjustments. When he goes to that sing single, like McGregor's underhook tightens, cranks up high like it's supposed to. His, his outside leg, his shin swims to the outside of Alvarez's leg like it's supposed to. Then when Alvarez changes his level and goes for the double and goes to grip his hands together, McGregor's hips go perpendicular. His feet and base spread, breaking the grip apart. He shows the grip awareness. Even if he can't get a nice wrist grip, he's like similar to Robert Whitaker, where he'll just grab the forearm and scoop it up because he knows it's all about connecting the hand. If you can't beat the head, if you can't beat the 
you can't beat free your hips, you can't beat his head, then you really have to stop those hands. You really got to pay attention to, which is number one in my book. I preach it all the damn time. Hand fighting is the silent killer. It's the quiet hero in grappling scenarios. And uh, he's showing those signs. Now, is it going to be enough? I don't know if it's enough for anybody showing those techniques, frankly. Because not because Khabib is that good, but because he's persistent. And I guess one of the last things I'll say about Khabib's takedowns is his percentages aren't that great. And they've gotten lower. Not only that, his variety is different. Now, part of me, rounding back to this injury stanza that, that Khabib had, has I think that really affected him as far as... Uh, Oh my God, 48 minutes and we're just all to, or 40 minutes and just Khabib Connor. Um, well, I'm going to be real fast in these other fights too, so uh, that'll make up for it. But it's that, you know, you look at the highlights on his takedown when he was doing the Matt Hughes impersonation on Pat Healy. Like that, well, that fight was a while back. And then before that was the record breaking fight where the most takedowns in a fight against Abel Trujillo, his most accoladed uh, wrestler that Khabib's ever fought, which wasn't an all American, mind you, not that that matters. He was NAIA. But nonetheless, and he also took Khabib down. Nonetheless, um, those were before those runs of injuries. Since then, his takedowns, have, he's used less varied technique. He's used less muscly of technique. And his percentages have gone down. So you can say, Dan, you just have a tinfoil hat theory. But those last three parts are true if you look at the statistics and you watch the footage. Now, he's just as much of a beast when he gets on top, but it's the takedowns is the problem. And on this podcast, I've talked about it plenty of times before. It's one of, Dan, many, one of Dan's many but few toward the top canaries in the coal mine as far as technical betting, however you want to take it as far as your, as far as your angle of analysis, trends in MMA. Wrestlers going for less takedowns as they get older. Everybody going for less takedowns as they get older. Now, wrestlers often the time is we always say, oh, well, at a certain point in time, you can say, well, Hendo or whoever, Rashad, at this fight where he fell in love with his hands. And that's true. A lot of times that's true. But even those guys, like Rashad maybe is a good example where he quietly was trying to go back to that transition game. Because if you forget, Rashad is right up there and was right up there with uh, GSP as far as strikes to take down transition in his heyday. You know, remember the slow motion on the... Uh, with Rampage, where he's going hook, hook, change level, boom, into the takedown. Uh, not the one where he almost knocks himself on Rampage out on Rampage's hips, hip. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but then that wasn't there when he gets older. And yes, people get older, and it makes sense. Um, wrestling, whether you're being defensive or offensive, involves a lot of what? Level changes. Level changes involve what? Your back and your knees. What are the first things and most things that trouble you as a fighter? Your back and your knees, or mainly your torso as well, which goes for rib and rib cartilage. Oh, does that sound familiar? Yes, it's because Habib's also had those problems. And henceforth, you see guys go for it less. But Khabib, he's only 30 years old. Blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, he's only 30 years old to be getting all those injuries like he was getting too. Let's not be. Let's not. Let's not act like guys who grew up wrestling don't have a wear and tear in their body that is hard to account for and harder than most. It's such a hard sport. It's such a great base. It is. Those things are all true. But we forget about the double edge to that sword. We forget about the wear and tear that it does to your body. 
You know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Maynard, you know guys like Maynard even. You know, you look. Oh, well, why would Maynard? Why would Maynard have concussive issues or getting knocked out and stuff? He didn't have that many fights. Da 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 da. Or well, these guys get so many concussions in wrestling. You don't think people like, like some of the most of the worst injuries happen in grappling, guys? Like when 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 you you trace these, this fighter got injured in camp. Most like, nine times out of ten, it's grappling. That's for a reason. It's fucking rough. Uh, most of my concussions in grappling. Or grappling scenarios. Um, that's why a guy can slam another dude and knock himself out. And you're like, how can that happen? Why is this guy a tough? He's a tough guy. It's, it's, you're not incorrect, but you know, there's an unspoken toll, and we don't know where where where, at, where every guy is at. Even the most beastly one of ones of them. Okay, so at the end of the day, starting with my original point, I know this is the most lengthiest breakdown of one fight. I promise I won't get this length in any of their fights. But at the end of the day. You could pick Khabib, but if you're not even given a chance that like like just completely writing off Connor, that's just silly. You're just you're just as bad in my book as the obnoxious McGregor fans of that in that case. So for me, I just want to enjoy this fucking fight. That's what I'm gonna do my best to do. As salty as I sound, uh, breaking it down at nauseum. McGregor off the break, second round TKO. All right. Um, I'm just going to power through. I was going to take a break, come back, and then go through the rest of the fights, but I'm just going to take a sip without uh, taking a break as I, and go straight through the last edit. Because our break will come uh, with the fantasy section. All right. Uh, Anthony Pettis uh, is the underdog, plus 310 in the co-main event. Against the favorite uh, interim, I guess technically former UFC interim, lightweight champ Tony Ferguson, minus 370. Um... Again, I said it on Junkie. As as volatile as Tony Ferguson is, it, it, even though he misunderstood a question of mine back in the day and took offense to it, even though I'm, I'm probably his most staunch supporter and understanding supporter in the media, I don't give a shit. I don't take any of it personal. I'm a I'm a Tony Ferguson fan. That I will say, and I don't feel like the guy gets enough credit before or during. And now I'm, I'm finally seeing people kind of take to his cause. But I made sure to get that Tony Ferguson tweet in the beginning of the week while everybody's focused on. McGregor and Khabib that you know the main event has a guy who is on a 10 fight UFC win streak is an interim champ and fought for a vacant belt or at least earned a vacant title the other guy never lost a title in the first place Tony Ferguson can lay claim to both those things and uh, he's in the co-main event without a technical belt he's fighting for which is a shame because his path in my opinion has been the hardest 13-1 overall and the split decision loss to Michael Johnson where you broke your arm in the first round. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, and again, I go at nauseum. Please, I will, uh, especially with the length of that other breakdown, I will pawn it off. Please go read my breakdown for in-depth uh, in analysis for, for this fight. Tony Ferguson is one of my favorite fighters to write about, and I am picking him. But I do, again, to be fair, I really, I feel like I came stronger in Anthony Pettis in this fight for fights that I picked him in in breakdowns because um, I feel it's deserved, and I feel this fight is deserved of it. I'm really excited for this fight. I feel it is more competitive, especially with the intangibles at play of how Ferguson will return. But uh, but I am picking Ferguson inside the distance, second round submission, very similar. I just think it's very similar to this fight with Edson Barbosa. Tony Ferguson understands operating space. He saw Josh Thompson. Um, Ice Nate Diaz, and Nate Diaz has a chin, mind you, so people, you know, 
keep that in mind too for people going, oh, he couldn't knock out any Diaz. I'm like, not a lot of people knock out any Diaz. Uh, uh, newsflash. But all right. Um, yeah, and uh, Ferguson saw that. So what did he do? He's like, all right, I'm going to turn into a wood chipper uh, wearing Muay Thai shorts, and I'm just going to slice the fuck out of him with pressure. And he did that. Um, and he knew to do that with Edson Barbosa, and he's going to know to do that here with Anthony Pettis, another dangerous kicker. Um, and that being said, Anthony Pettis' boxing is underrated, and his counter right hand is going to have a lot of play. Uh, Anthony Pettis landed a lot of good counter right hands on uh, Rafael Dos Anjos and Max Holloway. You know, there's you just the narrative you, again getting swept in the narrative. Anthony Pettis was dominating those fights. Like he was he was still gaming those fights. You know that that, that Poirier fight he lost, but that was a war. Like Pettis isn't a guy I accuse of quitting, or I think you can accuse of quitting, or looking for ways out, or trying to be pretty Tony and look pretty in there. The dude's a fucking warrior, dude. He's fucking game. Now we can have questions about his ceiling and. Uh, you know, his dedication, he hasn't looked the same as far as, you know, the results he's getting. But more importantly, you know, I was tweeting with uh, Wesley Colvin about this earlier on Twitter. Like, he looks like he's just more thicker around the uh, waist in recent fights and skinnier on the face. Now, regardless if a guy makes weight, regardless of if he wins or not, that is always a red flag as far as a fighter's preparation goes. When you see that, that's terrible. I would always look like that was even something back in the day, even when I wasn't competing like as an amateur. I'd say the amateur weigh-ins, like the fights, I'd always look at the guys weighing in. And whenever I saw a guy with a little bit of a belly and sucked in face, I'm like, oh, it looks like somebody waited to the end of their camp and wasn't taking this fight as seriously as they should have. That's what it told me. You took the weight out of your face and you still got weight in your belly. It means you weren't doing doing your camp right. And your cut and your prep, right? You were waiting. Someone was waiting the last minute. If it's coming out of your face, not your fucking stomach, and and uh, that's not like, believe me, it's not like atrocious or anything. Uh, as I just made it sound, I'm more picturing fucking slaw amateur guys weighing in. When I say that, if there sounded like there's vigor attached, that wasn't attached toward Anthony. Believe me, me. But uh, but yeah, I feel like that that said, if I'm being critical, which you got to be, split fares at this level. Um, it does look like Tony looks a little more thicker. Maybe that's just him getting older. You know, he's comfortable, got a nice long-term relationship. I know how that goes. I know how that goes. Um, maybe not lately because, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. But I get it. I get it. We all get comfy. All get comfy, right? It's, it's cool. Um, but, yeah, if, if that's the case, it will matter because you need every inch of preparation, attrition, or a durability to stand up to the attrition that's coming your way when you're facing a guy like uh, like Tony Ferguson. So, be interested to see how that plays out. And uh, respect to the guy who I feel like has the most right to the lightweight crown, Tony Ferguson. All right, next fight: Dominic Reyes minus two thirty, Open St. Pru plus one ninety. Um, man, you know this fight kind of made me nervous because OSP is a guy. Here's fun trivia. I have not picked against OSP since his fight with John Jones. I have picked OSP every time. He's not been a favorite all those times, and when even when he was a favorite, it wasn't by much a lot of those times, and a lot of those matches still felt risky because it's OSP, and he's he's not the most uh, consistent, much as I love the guy. And um, But, yeah, he can finish on the, on the floor. He can finish on, on the feet. The problem is it's ultimately countering scenarios, you know. It's countering with the... With the chokes, it's countering with the uppercut on Cummings. It's countering with the hook on Shogun. And 
I don't know, man. I don't know if he's if he's going to be able to do that to Reyes. Reyes has shown that he can counter. Eight Reyes has shown he can counter himself. But with the way Reyes comes forward, they're both athletic. They're both the the kind of uh, uh, stereotypical image as far as the former football player protege coming into MMA. Just one's older, one's younger, right? But the boxing range is where I see, you know, OSP. You know, it's shown where he's been, you know, I don't want to say most vulnerable. It's where he's gotten his most devastating knockouts from. But as far as his lack of presence, I would argue defensively and offensively, maybe the lesser check marks there as opposed to uh, kicking range, clinching range on top, et cetera, et cetera, wrestling, et cetera, right? And that's definitely Dominic Reyes' strongest range is his boxing range. Um, he can kick. He's shown he can wrestle. He used to be a high school wrestler. He's shown he can transition and ride well, but I don't think anybody's going to be wanting to shoot in an OSP or, or he's going to be wanting to shoot in an OSP or testing his ground game too much in this fight. And uh, that said, Reyes isn't beyond me hittably, the tall guy himself, but when he is hit, it's just, you know, there's... He does the things I like. I, I want to say it was the Jared Cannonier fight where he gets hit with a left hand. And he is hit when the Grizzly, uh, Grizzly, Jeremy Grizzly Kimball. My voice won't let me do the old prospector. But uh, that was slop, right? It was just kind of a rushy blitz, and it was, it was slop. I don't know to use a pool term. But in the Cannoneer fight, he gets hit with a left hand. And it wasn't bad. He kind of, you know, he goes with it. He's fine. But the next time he gets in a striking range, I don't know if Jared even throws a left hand, but he slips as if a left hand is there. And throws a left hand of his own, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, that's it. There's no left hand there. He slips and throws a left hand as if as if there was one, which is good. It shows awareness, defense. I love head movement. I love head movement trained in. I don't mind when a guy moves his head and rolls under a counter hook that's not there. And speaking of which, in the next exchange, he does just that. So he goes, first exchange, I get hit with a left hand. Okay, next exchange when I enter, I'm going to slip a left hand, even though he didn't throw it, uh, just in case while well, I throw my left hand. Third exchange, he goes, slip, throw my left hand, slip his left hand, throw my left hand, and then roll under the counter hook under that uh, under the cross he just threw. Because, again, his left is his cross because he's a southpaw. Like, he just built. He just built in threes. He got hit by something. He said, okay, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to attach to that. Like, that's that's little signs of Max Holloway shit. Like, when I say builder, when I Max Holloway, that's how I break down Max Holloway. And he... And I'm not saying he's going to be that or is that, but that's little flashes of what I talk about when I talk about Max Holloway. And that shit impresses me. So I got Reyes here. I think by – I want to see more, but I think we're going to get another first-round knockout. All right. Um, Volkov, minus 170. Derek Lewis, plus 150. Um, all right. Boy, sorry, my throat's getting dry. I'm gonna just get some coffee. Take another, some water here. Oh, Benji. The breakdown of this fight's pretty straightforward. I could wax on about this game, but again, kind of the same problem with OSP is with Derek Lewis. I love both guys. I root for both guys, even though I don't, I don't pick Derek Lewis definitely as often as OSP. Um. And it's because Derek Lewis is inconsistent. And a lot of times we have love for Derek Lewis. We go, how could he be such a big underdog? Why is he always an underdog? And then you go back and watch his fights and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah, that's why. 
right? He doesn't do himself any favors. Even when he is being consistent, he's still still a wild man in there. What the fuck's going to happen, right? You know, he, and he's still showing that as, as a beastly as he is, he can still collide and be on the wrong end of a punch. So it's always been crazy. Like the odds makers used to like over they overinflated Derek Lewis. Like I remember just not knowing much about Derek Lewis and playing him out of principle when I saw Matt Mitchell and was like plus three fifty underdog. So I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? And okay, please end. Um, and then they started making like Derek Lewis too big of an underdog, and then he starts. Winning these fights he's not supposed to win or losing fights he's supposed to win and then pulling out a victory out of his ass. So obviously the odds makers aren't favoring him. But then they keep getting burned by him to where you have a dark horse who's obvious, who is arguably the next challenger for the title, Alexander Volkov. Yet Volkov is only a minus 170. Now, you could argue Dan, no line should be spread wider than this in heavyweight MMA. And I agree with you based off that principle. But I'm just saying... Based off what we've traditionally seen, you could argue this line should be much wider. But my take as to why it is not is because Derek Lewis has just burned so many of us so many times, uh, whether you're betting for him or against him. It's like you can't, you just have to like line all Derek Lewis fights ridiculously close for that reason. Because you don't know if you're going to get burned or not. Um, you know, he did go for like two really kind of half-assed takedowns in his last fight, but that was the big question going into that Ninganu fight. Like, wait, can Lewis take him down though? Lewis is the proverbial advantage on the ground, but can he take him down? How many times have we shot a takedown? And you go and look, and you realize that he doesn't really shoot takedowns, and when he does, it doesn't really change his level or get into it. They're not the most effective. And most of his takedowns are based off failures of the other guy trying to take him down and or... You get those heavyweight, which turns into really amateur kind of level scramble sometimes, so which heavyweight matches, even at the quote-unquote top level, are prone to do, where you get really ugly and random scrambles. And yeah, that's how most of Derek Lewis's ground time and ground finishes have been produced. Like, they weren't, like, Derek, want to change level double leg, you know? Like, snatch signal against, single against the fence. Like, that. that's not Derek Lewis's game. Um, it would be smart here. Uh, Volkov, he has improved his wrestling and takedown defense, especially you know cross-training here in the States, which he looks to have done in this camp, training with uh, Kenny Johnson a bit, Bolt Wrestling, Black House MMA. Uh, but when he does get on his back, you still see some of the old tropes as far as willingness to be there. He was trying to be active on certain parts, and bravo to him for that against Verdum. Like toward the end there, he, he uh, really fought hard and hustled to his feet, which was a real pivoting point because uh, Fabricio Verdum at that point on the rewatch, you, it was very clear that he gave his, his, la- his all in that third round of the Volkov fight. But uh, Volkov did something Derek Lewis does uh, so well that I write about all the time in, in my breakdowns of Derek Lewis where he tripods. You know, he makes his back like a ski slope, that angle, so you really can't take the back. If you do, you're just going to fall forward. And uh, he tripod it to where even Verdum couldn't take his back. So even if, which tells me that even if Volkov gets taken down, it's not the end of the world. What worries me is Volkov's kind of upright floating head and right hands. He gets hit with right hands a lot because he has that pull and return style, but he's a really tall heavyweight. So his head's kind of just always there to be hit. So that's going to be there for Lewis if he wants to commit and even lean on one of those right hands. It might actually not hurt him in this fight, um, reaching for those. Uh, so that could always spoil it, which is why uh, I haven't played this one. Um, you know, fight doesn't go the distance, maybe, but it also could be one of those that go to decision, maybe. It's so hard to tell. This fight just feels like a goddamn stay away. So, um, 
Anyways, I'm going to move on to the next fight. Felice Herrig, Michelle Waterson. Herrig minus 120, Waterson plus 100. It's relatively stayed around these lines. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm a fan of Waterson, although <laughs> it's like part of me, I always want to see, you know, Asian Americans do well. We don't have a lot of representation, but then, uh, then she does some shit where I'm just like, oh, God, it's so fucking... Oh, that's so typical. It's so uh, I don't us Asians don't have a word for Uncle Tom, Uncle Tomish, but trust me, that version of that, that kind of judgment amongst our contemporaries within our races, I think I think we all I think all races have their version of that, guys. And uh, <laughs> let's just say Dan Tom would be uh, casting some shade and throwing some brows her way, which I probably already have done in the podcast for for some things, but nothing atrocious. Uh, I'm not a hater. Go Waterson, but uh, I agree with the line. Uh, I'm not too strongly opinion to this one. This is a pretty volatile fight as far as the, the, the female fights that are on the fight card. But I, I am going with Herrig. Um, I just think she's the much bigger, stronger party. And she has a surprisingly high, high striking rate, although you wouldn't be able to tell because the last two fights, um, it's, in my opinion, really costed her. Uh, she hasn't been as aggressive and as... Um, punctual is the wrong word or the right word I don't know as, as, as you'd like to see but she has made improvements you know in her left hook and her stand up and uh, she gets to the half guard again she's got one of the best top half guards in the female division and I think that's going to be trouble for the way Michelle Waterson scrambles uh, if Felice Herrick gets to that position in the fight if not, I expect the scrambles to be fairly competitive um, because Waterson's always been scrappy there and she's also shown improvements to her credit in her wrestling. But that just seems like Felice's wheelhouse and comfort zone, um, especially as of late, and especially her embracing her strength and uh, newfound vigor for the most part, I should say. So I'm going to take Herrig um, for that fight, the over is juiced, and this would be, in my opinion, if I forget to mention it later, probably of all the female fights, that has the most probability of a finish, though I predict them all to go to decision. Uh, though I could see a late submission for Herrick, in my opinion, would be the most likely outcome for a finish in this fight, if you're looking for an angle there. All right, um, I am going to take a break just to take a breather for a second, just so I don't feel guilty about it. Um, I'm feeling a bit exhausted. I'm not going to take a long break, believe me, because it's already almost 5, and I want to get the, I want to have this out to you guys by 5 in the afternoon Thursday, which is still 24 hours later, so I, I am just going to take a quick break here. Uh, no edit, no pause. I, I just going to get some water and refresh myself. And I'm back. And by my Doc Brown calculations, I've got about 15 minutes to get through the remaining 7 fights in order to have enough time to squeeze in the Fantasy section, and then get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, fight. Uh, fuck, ff, fuck, fuck sports, whatever the fuck. Fox Sports One, <laughs> Juicy A Four Mega plus one thirty five underdog, Sergio Pettis minus one fifty five favorite. Um, this fight's about right in my opinion. I'm a big Juicy A Four Mega fan. I've always been, which kind of sucked because, well, there's the matches he's gotten, the losses that he's taken, or the performances, even in some wins. Not of late. He's been doing good of late. But it's been a bit underwhelming. You just want so much more for the guy. And he was the guy that I wanted to fight 
face DJ, although it wasn't like I was you know banking on him to beat him or anything, but he, he was a guy that, that was the fresh face, and it still could be a fresh matchup uh, for a title fight. Well, maybe not. He's fought Suda before, uh, obviously, but um, but yeah, um, either way, I want the guy to do well. That being said, even though I'm rooting for him, I'm actually picking Sergio Bettis here. Um, not like a lights-out pick by any means. Again, the line's right, and the line is close for a reason, um, but I shouldn't say right. I, say I agree with the line, and it's close for a reason. Um, but essentially, it's movement. You know, uh, Sergio Pettis known to stick around his back a little too long, and that's got him in trouble. But I think he's already gotten his prospect lost with that Caceres fight. You know, and he's shown improvements obviously since then. And for a while, I was saying, and I, I will still argue that uh, you could argue the better, better Pettis brother as far as being more well-rounded, um, as far as his wrestling goes. Um, um, you know, didn't couldn't beat a guy like Cejudo, obviously, but different styling. Uh, Formiga, not a wrestler. Uh, he's got a judo background, black belt in judo, and you kind of see that judo-style clinch Formiga has, too, the way he kind of step-shuffles there in the clinch. Um, but, you know, you got to get to that clinch first. Uh, Sergio getting a little bit better with his distance management, a little bit better with his footwork each time out. Um... Mm. So yeah, I think that's going to be the difference here uh, on a time clock. So I'm just going to just going to move forward from that. Uh, Vincente Luque minus 850. Uh, Jalen Turner plus 575. Jalen Turner, tall dude, going to be big, bigger than Luque in that sense, so 6'3". But he usually fights at 155. Uh, he's a southpaw. Uh, looks like a Muay Thai guy, but just natural as a striker. Um, kind of came into the sport like five years ago. No, no real base or background. Got into it through striking, boxing, and, and MMA. Uh, uh, you've seen him like in like Bisping or uh, Ellen Berger, Rafael Dos Anjos photos for the Rufka gym. Uh, obviously, that guy, that frame comes in handy for welterweights. So it's not like he's not used to being in there with welterweights. Uh, looks like a real deal. It's, it can counter, can you know, hit with knees, punches, kicks. Um, but ground game, not sure. Not not sure how good he is there and. That's where I think Luke is going to be able to take this if he doesn't like what he's seeing on the feet. So I expect Luke to fill things out. I expect Luke's distance management from that the old karate baser to serve him well, and uh, going for the kill uh, when it's there. Um, so that's the pick there. But they don't have an over or under. I don't think that. Excuse me. I don't think that has. Uh, oh, it's going to be tough to get through tonight. Uh, I don't think uh, that one has props listed either. Uh, all right, next Aspen Lad minus 165. Tanya Evinger plus 145. This one I had a tough time on. I actually watched a decent amount of tape, and I still didn't feel uh, any better about it, and I was mad at myself for taking the time to watch the tape. <laughs> but uh, but I'm going with Walmart Mom, Tanya Tanya Evinger. <laughs> um, just essentially, even though Lad looks to be getting better, and she does have a, a pretty airtight pressure game when she gets going. She, she, when, when scrambles do ensue or she is on the bottom and is forced to make a scramble situation, there are opportunities there for more of a funky who doesn't make it pretty but effective uh, grappler like Tanya Evinger to start to pour it on, take some momentum, take some rounds, and maybe snatch up an armbar or opportunity. Um, you know, lesser grapplers have gotten close to locking up some armbars and other, other things on uh, Aspen Lab before. And uh, if she makes that mistake with... Uh, Tanya, it could be it could be worse, um, and that's the kind of uh, you want you know someone more experienced uh, that can hold up with the strength 
and whatnot, and uh, and make it a tricky fight from from that extent uh, on the feet. You know, much more cleaner technique for what that's worth from Lad. But again, nothing to write home about from either. Don't expect either of them to hurt the other. Kind of a thing. So there's my take there. I'm gonna take Evanger, but that's one of my few dog picks. But it's not confident. All right, Alan Patrick minus two seventy. Scott Hot Sauce Holzman plus two thirty. That's about right. I always look to fade Alan Patrick. Truth is, he hasn't lost anybody, but, but, but ties him off. And uh, the guy makes it dirty. The guy makes it gritty. And uh, it's hard to bet against him. Hard to bet against him in whatever he's running on. Holzman. Um, you know, coming off. Not the greatest looking decision wins against not the greatest opponents, and still haven't seen anything to break through from him aside from just being a, a fairly athletic, tough dude, a well rounded dude. Hats off to him, seems like a nice guy. I wish him well in this fight, but uh, not, not, nothing I see worth uh, picking or taking a shot even at plus 230 on him. Just my opinion. All right, uh, Yannick guy minus 225, Lena Landsberg plus 185. Um, taking Kuniskai here was wrong about uh, uh, Landsberg. Not that it was writing her off, but I think I think I think a lot of us kind of were. And then you know just, just it was stop uh, stop Mazzini pretty fairly well on her tracks uh, her last time out. Um, looks like she's training there, uh, Redline Academy or whatever that place is. Uh, I think uh, Jack Joker Hermanson trains there, and. Uh, Yana Kuniskaya training in my backyard of Extreme Couture, which I don't even know if I can call my backyard because I'm, I'm fucking never there anymore. I have to hear about, uh, shout out to John John Rico or uh, George, uh, Gorgeous George or other people who go to Extreme Couture and, and tell me who's there. But uh, but she's getting a lot of good 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 female work. I don't know how much she's working with these girls. You know, you got Claudia Gadelli in there, some other UFC fighters. Uh, the Leech, Li Ji Liang, is back in town, and he brought with him uh, Xiao Nan. Uh, maybe not brought with them, but I'm just going to be racist and assume because they're Chinese, they just uh, lump together like Siamese twins everywhere, right? That that that's how it works, right? Okay, uh, but you know, so I mean, the grappler striker that I just mentioned, I mean, got some bodies to work with uh, as far as that goes. So you know, working in a very clinch, cage fighting savvy gym, uh, which is where uh, Lena Landsberg is going to be strong. So. Uh, is she going to implement these things? Are we going to still see the same uh, kickboxing kind of rote? Yannis Gunitskaya, a real basic underhook, try to spin, but I can still get stuck in a clinch battle kind of thing. Like, what are we going to? Are we still going to see that? We could, sure. Uh, but I think the odds are slightly in her favor, so I'll pick her. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not telling you to. I'm not rushing to tell you to do anything with it with that one. All right, uh, Nick Lenz minus two forty five, Gray Maynard plus two hundred five. This is a tough one. I'm obviously biased towards Gray. Uh, being an extreme couture guy, um, but I see a lot of other people taking a shot on this too. I think because they see it's a real similar match, uh, matchup against two aged wrestlers. Just one guy is more weathered and gray, or perceived to be more weathered. So that's why the fade has been hard on him as of late, and that's why the fade is you know, or he's underdog here, I should say. Um, but Nick Lentz is a douchebag, right? <laughs> Like, he really is. One of the few fighters I'll fucking say that about. He's a fucking douchebag, but, uh, MAGA chud, but, uh, not even because, I'm not trying to get even political, just with, even with the stuff with BJ and just, he just seems like just like a real asshole. The, the, the stuff about being racist and making racist comments about people that have come through American Top Team you hear about, you know, walks like a duck and smells like a, like an ass, must be an ass kind of a thing, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, 
But yeah, so don't listen to what I have to say about this fight, in other words. I'm clearly painted in every which direction, um, but this might be the only play I make. It's because I love Gray Maynard and, and, and don't like Nick Lentz. So that's my breakdown on that fight. Um, ah, Speaking of sore feelings, I actually don't get sore feelings over Tony Martin, who is the dog, plus 115, and Ryan LaFleur, minus 135. Props to Tony Martin, who is doing well. And moving up in weight and uh, upping that trend. I like seeing guys doing that trend. Tony Martin, a guy who had to overcome uh, acid reflux disease, disease and was dealing with that, uh, which kind of came out late. He didn't use it for an excuse at the time, but you know, an interview on our show at MMA Junkie Radio, we uh, he shared that with us, which was awesome, and we were made sure to get that story out for him. But you know, of course, what I refer to as far as sore feelings is, of course, and, uh, which some of you may know. Uh, I think I took a, I took a shot on Kaden Nakamura, and I, I guess Tony Tony Martin didn't like that too much. And uh, I think it was like 33 minutes after his fight. I, I, I wanted to look at the timestamp. Uh, it took him to get, uh, of course, of all things, from medical and the walk back. That's including the post-fight interview. Um, amongst the to-do list was to tweet at Dan Tom and say, bad bet, homie. So gave him his props. I was like, hey, man, you, know, you called me out. Cool. It's, 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 uh, it, was, it was a bad bet. It was wrong. Congrats to you, man. But uh, it also is kind of, I think it make I would argue it looks worse on him that having to tweet a nobody like me uh, 33 minutes after the fight. Hopefully his priorities have straightened out because he does have a challenge in front of him and Ryan LaFleur. Not a huge challenge, but as far as stylistically, you know, Ryan LaFleur is another guy. People came in super high on him, you know, coming around the Damian Maya fight. Then he loses that fight, suffers a bunch of bad injuries, I think. Comes back, gets knocked out in front of his hometown in a fight he was arguably winning against uh, Cowboy Oliveira. And it's one of those instances now you kind of see like, oh, Ryan LaFleur, well, he's only on the ship sail. Well, boy, are we wrong about that guy. You know, again, getting lost in the narrative there. But at the end of the day, he's the he will be the bigger man, though not by much. Tony Martin's a sizable dude. And he will uh, present a grappling style that will be difficult. Um, as my man John John Rico, who I was talking about, said, got to watch out for Tony Martin's uh, Kimura sweep. I agree, especially against a power uh, wrestler. Guy's going to be pushing his shoulders in, really trying to pressure him down to the mat like LaFlair. But LaFlair, to his credit, uh, tough to submit, good in transition, and don't got to worry about him gassing out like he did against Maya in a three-round fight. Um, so I will side with him here, but it's not in any way... Uh, Against uh, Tony Martin, who, who, if you're listening, Tony, uh, sorry for offending you, bro. Sorry for picking against you this time, but I am. I got Ryan LaFleur. All right, that's it uh, for that. Let's get it over to the fantasy talk from a man, Jordan Fiegelman, right now. And we're here with returning special guest Jordan Fiegelman for some fantasy talk. You can find him on Twitter at Ordination Sports. Drop the O on Sports or I should say maybe, arguably, he's a bit too humble. More importantly, his awesome podcast, Nation of Recap, on all podcasting platforms. What's up, Jordan? How's it going? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. 
talking some uh, very big MMA fights this weekend. Very big ones indeed. It, it, they, they are very big. I think they even get us excited, which is why. And again, I've been saying it for a minute. It, it's been a while since I had you on, but I, I said, got to get you on for a, a, a big show again. And uh, it is a big show. And, and with big shows come, uh, well, well, we'll we'll get into we'll get into that as far as the fantasy talk. I'll let I'll let I'll let more professional uh, people here uh, speak on the matter. But but yeah, it, it's got us excited uh, behind the scenes here, even for us hardcores. Uh, fair to say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right now I'm in the full swing of NFL season, and we we haven't spoke. Uh, I looked at our Skype history since April on an MMA <laughs> card, but um, it's this is exciting. Like I, I, we were talking about it a little bit off air. Uh, I've been I, I don't want to say that I've been cooling on MMA, but I just feel like we haven't really been delivered uh, like high quality cards. I feel like the past like three months have been kind of boring. I've been talking to other people about it, and they're like, Jordan, just like stay positive. And it's like, hey, I demand excellence. I want good entertainment, and uh, this week we're finally we're getting something that I think is very solid from any any aspect that you look at it, whether it's the uh, the undercard, there's some good spots there. And then the main card is great, obviously. But uh, I'm happy that I'm getting like energized again about MMA. For a while, I was kind of in this lull. I think a lot of people probably would agree with me on that. Yeah, I was with you on that lull too, man. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, listeners of this show know, I mean, I've had a hard time keeping up with the week-to-week myself. Uh, I've been going through a bit of uh, some content changes as well as far as the fantasy-related, not doing uh, uh, the betting articles. Well, there are going to be some changes on that, but as far as the traditional way where I would have plays on the first page, and then, of course, second play, uh, second page would be fantasy. And, you know, I was kind of talking to you about this beforehand, Jordan, but it, it's, it's affected like, how I was podcasting as far as, like, uh, the way I was giving my content because without that in the, like, the forefront of your mind, uh, I was missing a lot of points even when I was making specific notes when I'm doing my notes and analysis as far as, like, oh, this would probably be a good guy to look out for fantasy. Let me mark, mark yeah. that to check that when it comes out and talk about that on the podcast. And it would slip. So uh, I feel like I've been doing my own listeners a disservice. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's, there, there's plenty of uh, hardcores in the fantasy community and, and, and whatnot. Uh, definitely respect to, to the fellow grinders out there. But you know you're my homie. You know I love talking yeah. to you about all things uh, non-MMA even, you know, especially, uh, you know, uh, Nation of Recap. You talk a lot about pop culture, TV shows and stuff like that. So we like throwing references at each other. But, mm-hmm. but, 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 man, it's a... Uh, I, I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't have anyone else on here. You know, uh, as far as uh, I appreciate it. I, I would. You know, if, if you were sick, I'd be like, "Fuck you, then, man." I'm gonna have. Yeah, yeah. Fun. There's other people. But no, involved. no, no. What I mean is, 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 is you're a good dude behind the scenes for people that you know just know you through the mic here. Sure. And uh, and always happy. Wish you were out here though, man. I gotta say. I was a little bit when I was reaching out. I was I was going, hey, is this maybe? Can we do this one live in person? in person? What I'm alluding to, sorry, I'm speaking in a lot of code and jigger jabber right now. Uh, MMA Junkie, MMA Junkie Radio. We have a once a year gathering called uh, the Junkie Gathering, and right now that's going on. Uh, we decided to do it a a little later this year, but. It kind of worked out, I guess you could say, with the big fight week that we're for talking you. about. For you. It worked out for you. I it guess. didn't work out for me because uh, – so my situation, and we'll, we'll talk about a nice little segue, is right. that um, one of the major differences between sports betting and daily fantasy is that uh, you can't do it in Las Vegas because of the the, uh, the gambling laws there. So for me, <laughs> I, I just can't um, – I can't give up a, a week of NFL to come to Vegas during the fall. It just doesn't yeah. work for me. Uh, it's uh, – the previous junkie gathering, I was uh, all geared up and ready to go, and one of my friends uh, had some hard times, and he had to come stay with me for a little while. So that kind of interrupted that, and I was really excited about this, and then all the, the time changes and stuff with the schedule. NFL just makes it 
impossible. Uh, I don't like I was saying a little bit off air. I don't know how people who just do MMA. uh, There's a lot of people who are like really, really sharp in terms of MMA DFS. I'm I'm there's too much in the world for me. Like I need NFL. I need NBA. I need tennis even. But now we have like these huge contests for MMA this week in comparison to what we're normally offered. But I think that generally speaking, we get to the spot where there's these subtle differences between sports betting and daily fantasy where someone like you are, I think arguably, arguably like top three in terms of fight analysis. I think a lot of people would agree with me on that. You said I was humble earlier, but I mean, in terms of fight breakdowns, I I don't see anybody besides maybe Robin Black that is at at the same level. And we get to the point where that's one skill. The next skill is implementing that to make money, building a lineup based on other people's expectations of success, what you think they're going to do and reacting to it. It's If we just had to pick a winner, it would be a lot easier. These are situations where we get to pick who we're playing against. If it's a newcomer, if it's a beginner, we're not facing Vegas. We're facing individuals. Like I could play you for 20 bucks. I could play somebody else for $10 where the winner gets 100 you know? right, so right, right. k different situations where we could pick our spots and be a little bit more selective that's where i think that um our our skills kind of um overlap really really nicely is because i i could wa- i could watch body language and in terms of um you know nba and nfl i watch a lot of film and break down stuff like that but i i don't even pretend to have anywhere near the fight expertise as you do but in terms of game theory and this sort of thing it's a different conversation so it's a good combo i think I think so too, man. That, that, that's more what I was trying to nail in the beginning. Uh, I will say though, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sh- shoot down the compliments as they come uh, vehemently. So, so we'll we'll <laughs> we'll dispense with that and instead parlay into this because you brought up a great point as far as why, especially for you know you, you sharp people that actually yourself you, you you make livings, you have real investments into these games. Why it's so important on big weeks? One for NFL, which is off my radar, but makes complete sense. Obviously, mm-hmm. and then also for a big fight week with all the, uh, with all the as you'd like to so you know so perfectly put public money coming into there. Um, so a- as I ask you to kind of set that up on why why sharps like yourself, uh, you know your dick gets hard so to speak. But uh, mm-hmm. let, let let I have a note here. Let, let let's give a shout out to some of the other. Uh, you, you alluded to, to to a lot of the MMA uh, specific guys, yeah. and I, I met a lot of them in person. I'm friends with a lot of them on Twitter. I love these guys, but. Uh, why don't you give Why don't you give them a quick shout out, uh, uh, totally. Jordan? As, as you there's set this a, up for him, there's a lot of good content out there. Um, personally, I every 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 week when I'm doing my MMA breakdowns, I consult a couple couple different writers. Brett Appleby on Roto Grinders, his whole daily uh, MMA staff is really really good. RotoGrinders.com, you could sign up through their premium pet packages. They do some free stuff, not as much anymore. Um, and then the best free content out there in terms of uh, DFS MMA, I think it has to be on the Pat Mayo experience. It's my uh, good friends Cody Saftik, CJ Saftik on Twitter, and uh, Paul Sh- Oshagase or Shagase. Yeah. Two great guys. I've been uh, literally following them in MMA since I started playing. Maybe. F- four years ago at this point. And uh, they're great guys. They do great content. There's also people like uh, Sun Tzu on Twitter, Art of War DFS, yeah. uh, Gravy Cakes, uh, Mar- Marley at Best yeah. Fight Picks. There's there's literally – like there's a, a great uh, a great thread every week. I think Eric Stevens does it on Twitter, and he tags yep. yeah, all of yeah. the good influences. I'll send it to you so Shout you can Shout out to Eric Stevens for doing that. Speaks. Shout yeah. out to Eric Stevens. So it, it's really cool. And what I really like – and then we'll get right into the breakdown because we've been meandering for too long. <laughs> but um, you know, MMA, it's a niche sport. 
and it's not NFL. It's not NBA. There aren't um, a million dollar prizes. There aren't multi million dollar prize pools. But this is a, it's a tight knit community, and I'm happy to be a part of it. That's awesome, man. So now, again, bear with us, folks. We are rounding down the drain. So now, again, the, the public money coming in, it, 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 it almost makes it to where, you know, the, the aforementioned community you were just talking about there, you guys can't miss out on weeks like this. But it's also opportunities that are well within reach for, like, your casual players, though, right, as far, yes. as, mm-hmm. as, far as different style of games that are going to be available to them this week, right? Yeah, so um, there's a, a, a wide variety of different offerings on DraftKings, uh, ranging from a $150 competition, $70,000 prize pool, first place gets 15k, going down to the, the big tournament called the Fight of the Year, uh, $300,000 prize pool, winner gets 100k, $10, uh, 35,000 people enter. So obviously the odds are different in each situation, but there's something called rake, and um, anybody that's played poker online or DFS or anything along those lines will understand. And um, it's basically how the site makes their money. Um, They'll give you a prize pool of $300,000, but there'll be $325,000 worth of entry entry fees. So on the lower buy-in levels, rake is higher. It's usually about like 12 to 14%. As you break that triple-digit buy-in level, it goes down drastically towards Mm. like 8%, 7%, you know, 10%, 11%. And um, we got to be conscious about those things. But what's interesting and what I like to think about is that when we have weeks like this, when we have week one of NFL, when we have, um, you know, NHL during the NBA all-star break, when we have Conor McGregor fighting or any of these really like major milestone moments People are going to come in that are just playing on NFL. Like somebody who's hanging by their computer doing some NFL work on Sunday night. They see the fights on. They're going to order it. They're going to stream it illegally, which we don't endorse. But they're going to do all these things just to have some fun. Uh, A normal week contest for um, the $10 buy-in level would probably be about half the size. Where Connor brings public money. We talked about it uh, in the past. We'll talk about it again today where it's like Vegas is harder. You know, these people, It's this is a market that has been fledged out over uh, an insane amount of time, not just for MMA, but boxing, right, every right. other sport. You know, there's public teams, there's the Patriots, there's the Cowboys, there's the Lakers, there's Conor McGregor. There's people who drive money in and then us in the situation where we could kind of se- separate our fandom from uh, things that are lining our pocketbooks, we could take advantage of this, those situations because – in reality, if, if you're gonna if you want to win a hundred thousand dollars in that ten thousand in that ten dollar tournament, do you want to play Conor McGregor? If somebody tells you in this conversation, hey, I got inside information. I'm uh, you know friends with Marty McFly. I just came back twenty minutes from the future. I'm letting you know this is exactly what's going to happen, and everybody else has this information. Chances are you shouldn't get that information, even if it's a first round knockout, because if everybody's making the same decisions that you're making, the opportunity for you to really profit is drastically diminished, right? So that's when I, when I, kind of, I give lessons to some people and, and do some things like that on the side. And when, I, when I, we're talking about opportunity and, and winning, it's like if you want to you double up your money, have fun. I want the big prize. I want to go on a nice vacation. You know what I mean? That's what I'm interested in. So um, it's all, you, have to, you have to factor all those things in and you have to really pick your spots. From my, my perspective, if you just want to have fun, and, and you might have a, a great job, a great living. Don't play in the $150 buy-in level. It's not worth your time. It, 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 even if it works out one week, chances are if you're not putting the work in, if you're not um, a skilled player, 
if you're not taking the steps to make yourself a skilled player, you should be playing at the $5 buy-in level or the $10. Or you play $100 and you play 10 entries instead of one entry at $100. Because when I see a player and there's these experience badges on DraftKings, when I see a player challenge me to a head-to-head with one of those uh, experience badges that I like to see, I'm I'm, I'm all ears. You know, I'm uh, getting a half chub, as you like to say. <laughs> Oh my God! They got badges now. Jeez, Dan Tom Dan Tom's been off it for a while. I'm still waiting for uh, us to be uh, reconciled here, the laws here to to, to, <laughs> jump, to jump back into the pools. But Dan Tom was hanging out by the uh, yeah, it was a five or ten dollars shark, baby. Watch hey. out! Watch out! Watch out! A lot of people get this misconception <laughs> that they like uh, they get a big win, right? So yep. you get say you get like a two hundred dollar bankroll, right? Which is nothing to be embarrassed about, right? This is just for fun. Everybody has their own different things, but. They get a big win. They win like two grand. I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna order some stuff on Amazon, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna up my buy-in levels. I'm gonna start playing at the $50 range instead of just playing more entries at the lower dollar range. One of the major advantages to this over betting is that we don't have to go against the people who are doing this professionally if we don't want to. Yeah. No, that's that, that's a great point. That's a great point. So about the the, the matchup that is gonna be drawing people in, uh, Connor versus Khabib. Um, What's uh? Why don't we just start from there, man? Uh, again, uh, I know you, you have some 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 categories here. We're going to be giving as far as like musts, maybe avoids, and stuff like that. I'll, I'll, I won't step on it. I'll let you introduce sure. them. But obviously, we got to touch on this match. So, yeah. what is your takeaway from a fantasy perspective on this match, as far as where they're priced, where you see the matchup going, and your approach? So, my approach personally is that I'm going to have um, Habib on every lineup that I make. Period. He is uh, $8,400. Connor is $7,800. These prices are often influenced the most heavily by Vegas out of any other sport. Yeah. Um, other sports factor Vegas into their pricing, but there's also a lot of other stats involved that drive the price. Um, ownership from the previous week, all that and more. This isn't that this doesn't use any of those external factors. It uses very variance-based stats, like and and something like a, a significant strike is so subjective yeah. that um, we're not there yet. There there is still dis, there's still an edge in the pricing in MMA, in my opinion. Because there's less so, metrics and less reliable metrics to go from. Yeah. yeah. Even even if there are metrics, since there are takedown defense, right. uh, strikes per minute, accuracy, uh, defense, etc. But these are variance based stats. Yes. These aren't volume based stats. So, um, in my opinion, Habib should be priced a lot higher than he is right now. Yeah. Connor, if he wasn't such a public better, a public fighter, I think that he would be one of the cheaper fighters on the card. That's just my personal opinion. And. Um, you set it up. You're a better, better analyst than I am, obviously. But we have the classic uh, wrestler versus striker matchup. But this is a little bit of a, um, a different story in terms of wrestling. He is such a GPP gem, yeah. guaranteed yeah. prize pool, yeah. that is. He's going to stack up the takedowns unless he gets finished early, which is doesn't happen. He's, you know, he's just spoiler alert. He's undefeated. You know, he hasn't been finished early. He has been rocked in the past. But just that takedown floor is very attractive to me. That being said, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, what yeah. I suggest you to do is to either take a side firmly, one side or the other, or don't do it at all. Just back up. 
you know, because it's going to be so Connor's going to be so popular that when you make Connor McGregor, it lim- when you put put Connor McGregor in your lineups, it limits the amount of other opportunities you have in other spots to differentiate yeah. from other players in the same contest because there's only, you know, you only roster six people, right? So you're, you're sitting there, you put Connor in there, you're automatically in a pool, right? So let's say that um, you play Connor and then my must for this week is Tony Ferguson. So you play Tony Ferguson with Connor, then you're in this group where you're only se- potentially you're only separated by four other fighters with people that you're trying to compete against. So my opinion in this spot um and, and this is only with these really public spots that are very, very ownership based is that I would just take one side firmly, which is to be or I would fade it. Um, other okay. people are going to have different opinions, but I, I don't know if Connor or Habib is in the winning lineup of these big tournaments, especially mm. the ten dollars. I, I think that there's more odds for it to be a, a situation where the winning lineup doesn't have either of them. But Khabib's ceiling is so high where if Connor wins, he's only probably going to earn you so much with a knockout in the first couple of rounds. Whereas Khabib wins, it's 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 not just winning; it's a whole other point ceiling with the takedowns that he can get. So it's almost like you, depending on how you want to look at it, you almost can afford not to have him win. Even if you were on the other side, like me, where you think Connor has a chance to win it, you, even still, then you you got to go against maybe what your pick would be from a, strictly from a fantasy perspective. If you're just looking at yeah. all the points that are on the table with a guy like Khabib, right? It's all about game theory, right? It's, yeah, it's the way yeah, in which you yeah. win and, and how that happens to the rest of the card. It's not just about winning or losing. Gotcha. This brings me back to the the Ronda Holly card, the uh, Joanna Valerie Letourneau fight in Australia, where Ronda was extremely popular. She was extremely expensive. Joanna the same way. And I, I didn't I didn't expect Ronda to lose that fight. But as I was talking to Fanny, and actually I remember calling at MMA talk at a junkie talking about it. But in these situations, when you when you're saying to yourself, okay, if Connor wins first round, chances are he's gonna get a hundred point knockout, maybe some significant strikes, he's not gonna take him down, maybe a knockdown. That's gonna maybe get you around hundred and fifteen points. That's best case scenario. Mm. Best case scenario for Khabib is a lot higher than that. And then also, if you separate the ownership percentages, could you could you squint and see a situation where Ferguson scores a lot more than Connor in a win? Probably. Like, is the best case for Ferguson better than the best case for Connor? Probably. So you look at it from different perspectives and you and you make your decision. But my advice to all you guys, everybody out there that's thinking about playing, pick a side and stay with it. Don't don't wafer. Don't go back and forth. Stay strong. Gotcha. No, that, that that that's really unique advice there. Uh, no, no, that, that that makes a lot of sense. That was a great great example for that. Um, unless you have any more thoughts on that fight, do you want to maybe give uh, maybe an avoid or maybe a, a must or or, yeah. or any of the categories you have lined up there? So obviously, there's really high priced people. There's really low priced people. The uh, the key is to find people uh, that gets you a good combination of, uh, of of the best and the worst of things, right? So for me. My must on this card, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a GPP player in MMA, I'm going to be in the minority in a lot of things. I think I'm, every lineup that I make is going to have Tony Ferguson and Habib on it. That's the way that I'm going to start my night. A lot of other people are probably going to start their night with a combination of Connor, Khabib, and Dominic Reyes. Um, personally, I need Oven St. Prue. That leads me to my next really cheap play that I'm bringing. So Oven St. Prue is going to be on a lot of my lineups. I, I, I don't feel as confident as I do with my Khabib pick or my um, 
or my Ferguson pick for a lot of reasons, right? Um, I yeah. think the things that uh, Ferguson does really well, Pettis doesn't do very well. I think Pettis likes space. I think Ferguson wants to be in your face. I think that Ferguson has a much better ground game. I think that there's a lot more well-roundedness going on there. When we have Ovin St. Pru, I mean, Dominic Reyes is basically what Ovin St. Pru was promised to be, right? Like, it's a little flashback in the future. Yeah, I think that's that, what I got um, Dom- yeah, yeah. yeah, I think Dominic Reyes is probably a better fighter, but I think that uh, Ovin St. Pru is a, a big step up in competition, a, a much bigger step up that a $7,300 price point would, would warrant, in my opinion. You see Dominic Reyes up through uh, Denver area by, by, by chance? No, I- I've never seen Dominic Reyes. Um, is he at, is he at elevation? He yeah yeah he does parts of his camps that are uh, not all of them but uh, 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 re- recent ones and and then he was uh, there for uh, at least a month for this one. I'm looking it up right now and then we'll uh, talk and meander through some other things. But um, I train at noon uh, during the week and then uh, at one is when the pro practice happens. So, um, no, I, I haven't seen this guy around. I, I just picked up his face to, to double check. I haven't seen him around. Um, I'm sure you've seen it in the, in the news, but, um, Overeem has joined the team pretty much full time now. So he's in there a lot. Um, they do do, uh, we're talking about Easton training center where I train, uh, Elliot Marshall's gym, but they, they, they also do some training at high altitude martial arts with this guy named, uh, Cody or Donnie Cody Brook or something like that. Cody so, Donovan. um, yeah, yeah, so he could yeah, be yeah, up yeah, there, yeah. Um, and I, I'm not positive. That's about probably what it was. Cause he, yeah, he has to take pictures with uh, that guy in the pictures that I saw, so that makes sense. Yeah, and like Bojan Velichkovic trains there a lot. It's um, I, I've never been to that academy, but it's part of like the Easton family, uh, Easton um, training. I, I think I think Amal Easton purchased it about two years ago. They just didn't change the name to be like part of the Easton family. But um, I think that. Reyes is going to be probably the second or third most popular fighter in the, on wow. the, the week. Yeah, even uh, even though we're getting a lot of casuals, you think they'll be because uh, I got to imagine even Ovin St. Pru, not as much as a Pettis or a Ferguson, but maybe one of the more um, recognizable names when they're trying to fill up, you know, uh, fill out their lineup. Does that does that kind of a thing come in play? And I don't blame you. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a tight fight, and I've never uh, trivia. I've, I've never picked against OSP. Since his John Jones fight, um, I've always picked him except for except for this fight though. I I, I was I was looking at him as a live dog, and he still is. But uh, I ended up going the other way. But I agree with your analysis for both those fights: the the Tony Pe- uh, the Tony versus Tony, and the uh, you know Saint Prue versus Reyes. The the, the two southpaw uh, you know slash switch stands for Ovince, uh, fo- former football players. There, I, I I agree with your analysis on that one. I just think spot. that uh, it's it's a big step up in competition. I think that if we compare uh, Open St. Prue at seventy three hundred to some of the other people at that price range, we got Derek Lewis, who I like a little bit as well. He's seventy five hundred. Yeah. But there's no one really else. Uh, Scott Holzman is seventy one hundred. Um, Maynard is seventy two hundred. Uh, Tony Martin, who's fighting Ryan Lafair, uh is seventy four hundred. I just think that there's a really big pricing. Um, pricing error here for Ovin St. Prue, but we have seen him suck, right? Um, yeah. He has questionable cardio. Uh, he's been bailed out by his uh, crafty submission skill multiple times. Uh, but at the end of the day, he has a brand on his arm and he's really tough. So, um, yeah, but that's just the way I'm looking at it. I'm trying to get as many high end yeah. fighters into my lineup as I can. And I think that um, St. Prue is probably like, let me ask you a question. Who do you think safer for uh, a floor here? St. Prue or Derek Lewis? You know, 
I'm picking against both guys. And I don't think either of them are safe because the two things with the, uh, uh, the two criticisms uh, are common with both guys, inconsistency for me. And that's the problem. Uh, if, you, if they are going to win, though, they're going to get a finish, which means translates as far as fantasy talk for They're going to score you well. Uh, so I definitely yeah. don't hate either of those spots. Um, th- you know, they're on my radar when I was looking at the, uh, the roster here before we started uh, recording as far as the prices goes. Th- those were dogs that jumped out to me because my other dog picks in the card – uh, I, uh, you know, uh, I'm going with Maynard and, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm siding with, I'm sure I might probably already covered it in the podcast, but, uh, I, 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 there's still a fight or two I want to look at just, just, to, just to review, but, uh, it's one of those where I'm picking LaFlair, but I don't blame anybody for putting flyers or putting, playing, uh, putting, uh, Tony Martin on their, uh, on their yeah. rosters. I could see him, uh, uh, his improved boxing as far as like pick, pick, picking off a jab and you know maybe he busts open Lafleur's nose, gets in his head, and then opens up something from there, kind of a thing. But let me just I let me know. just stop you there though, because Lafleur is extremely boring. He's a decision machine. Yeah. You know he he's not going to win by uh, by by a knockout or finish most likely. And at eighty eight hundred, you need that. So um, I think one thing that I just invite everybody listening to do is just you have to if you want to if you want to have success. Playing DFS, you have to embrace being uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes you sense. Know? That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, sorry, unless there was anything, I don't know if I cut you off on those matchups. But was there another category you wanted to jump to, as far as? Uh, well, yeah. Just, just one thing that I'm um, gonna say that I'm my, my big fade for the weekend. That somebody that I'm really not playing at all is gonna be Dominic Reyes. Um, I think that the 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 major expensive players that you wanna be messing with this weekend are a combination of McGregor, Volkov, Lewis, Tanya Avenger, moving down there a little further, OSP. Um, I think that it's gonna that, that's why you have to try to separate yourself in other ways. Like if you just look at it and you click some buttons, you try to make a lineup that works. Relatively easy to get yourself Reyes, McGregor, um, maybe maybe uh, an Aspen Lad in the mix, or Alan Patrick, or uh, Nick Lentz, or Lafleur, or Gray Maynard. And these people are popular. They they have name value. Even someone like Nick Lentz has name value. Right. Uh, but do they have finishing value? I don't know. So this this weekend, I'm I'm really trying to embrace being. Uh, yeah. Just a lot of risk, and uh, you know, I'm trying to get Vicente Luque invites. I want him, I want to have him. In, I want him in there, right? But uh, right. Yeah. you have to make sacrifices, and uh, that's what life's all about—making sacrifices. But hopefully, you come out of this like this is the type of card where um, you know a, a win at 60 points is not doing you anything. It's, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's just yeah. an, bringing up that inevitable failure, or you know, making two dollars off your one dollar entry. I don't want that. You don't want that. We don't want that for everybody listening. We want like a Porsches and uh, tips on Patreon and stuff like that. I hear you. No, no, I hear you, man. I'm, this gets me excited, and I'm not even playing this weekend. God dang it. But, uh, but no, man, that, that's awesome. This, is, this definitely sounds like a, a week for any of the listeners out there you can't miss as far as getting in. I'm not getting paid by DraftKings, mind you. Uh, so that's not a, it's not a plug or anything. But as far as just, just you know, uh, you know uh, fantasy-wise in general, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because, again, like, I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm one of the uh, the fools out there picking Connor. Now I'm out there with a fucking sign or a fanboy. No, although apparently if you pick Connor, that I guess that immediately lumps in with these fucking fanboys. Apparently, but uh, yeah, God forbid you're just making a pick on a fight, right? But no, in all honesty, pick a side. I would I would I would totally play Khabib in this, you know, because again, uh, even though I I pick Connor, I I definitely think Khabib deserves to be the favorite here. 
Yeah, and if we're talking about winning or losing, it doesn't matter. It's like could Khabib could out, you, could, Khabib, could Khabib hypothetically is the type of fighter that could outscore a guy uh, a winner, uh, multiple winners on the card, and still lose if you put a, a takedown heavy guy in a five round fight like that, right? I mean, you could you could have yeah. like, get a bunch of takedowns in the first couple rounds. I mean, he almost got twenty in the first two against Trujillo, and then lose in the third round, and then still 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 end up on a winning lineup. I think that there is a chance that in if in these two alternate universes that play out, Connor wins by TKO first round, Khabib wins by uh, decision in round five. I think there's a world where Khabib has more points than Connor does with a fifth round finish versus a first round finish. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know if I was betting who I would pick. I probably um, I probably would still pick Khabib, uh, but I, it's it's different, right? Like I said yeah. earlier, like we're not competing against yeah. the house. We're competing against uh, schmucks in Illinois and, and places like that, right? And um, like we were saying earlier, there's a lot of casual money in here, and uh, there's people who are playing NFL, and it goes both ways. If you're somebody who likes MMA and you see some NFL stuff, feel free to hit me up uh, on Twitter at, at Ordination Sports. Drop the O. I'm always down to help anybody. Uh, I, that's one thing I love about this whole podcasting thing is just uh, the sense of community you get to build. A hundred percent, man. And uh, I, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave the plugs there because I know I'll butcher it if I try to go over it again. <laughs> if I, but 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 feel free to hit my man up. He he he's just as friendly as he sounds. Won't, won't bite your head off. He's a very helpful individual, uh, very friendly guy. And check out his podcast, man. But uh, about this card before we, we we get off this card, man. I don't want to rush you off. Was there anything else you wanted to to touch on about the card? Or about yeah, this I got one thing. I got one please, thing, and then I'll please, do some plugs no, please, to close it off. Stretch out. Um, what's going up with uh, – what, what's your pick on Aspen Ladd versus Evinger? I'm a fan of both of them. Um, I really liked Evinger in that cyborg fight. Uh, Aspen Ladd, you know, big prospect, 6-0, whatever. She looks like she's in really good shape this camp. That's one thing I noticed. But uh, I think I want to have Evinger exposure here. I think that uh, personally that it's just going to be too much. But I'm not sure if I'm like being clouded by that cyborg performance too much. What's your take on that? Uh, it's tough. I mean, Avenger is my lean uh, for this fight for sure. Um, and I, I just got done actually watching um, watching her tape. And I will say, as far as Aspen Lag goes, she does seem in good shape, and she she seemed in good shape going into her last one too. But you know, I, I mean, I, I I don't know how much of how you know uh, the overblown narrative of once you're a fighter that misses weight, you're kind of always going to have that label, or you know, you you never know how much you want to uh, believe into a fighter. Um, the Lena Landsberg fight was really impressive. I picked her in that fight, you know, uh, to win. Although I will say it felt like uh, it was a little more dominant than I expected. Although I didn't expect like a that competitive of a fight, you know, she, she was really impressive there. Obviously she beat, you know, Sarge, um, got the loss to Cynthia Calvillo back as an amateur. You had to go all the way that, that, that far back, but it, it's, but who does, who does that remind you of though? Style wise, don't you see some similarities between Calvillo and Avenger in terms of that grinded out? It's, you're never going to break them. Well, I see a lot of, it's, uh, yeah, I see a lot of similarities with, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, a that and like a, a, ret- a retarded Ben Askren. but yeah no exactly and and that's kind of why i'm leaning toward evinger here it's just the fact that it's not pretty but when i look at her in multiple positions from clinch to wrestling on top or on her back or in the scramble i see her being able to handle what lad has if she's not already putting it on lad as far as implementing her wrestling 
Um, that's the part, you know, I don't know who's going to win that out. I don't think there's going to be a, a too much of a landslide of the striking, but yeah, I, I'm picking Evinger here. Uh, I, if I just sound, uh, if I sound, uh, undecided, it's because I'm, I'm still undecided. I'm still researching as far as what I, if, if, if there's going to be anything as far as sure. play, playing wise, because I figured this was going to be one of those lines that moved closer, but it hasn't moved that far, nor is it that far away in the first place. That makes it really worth worth a shit uh, as far as playing a dog here. But it has grown wider, which surprised me. So almost out of principle, I feel like playing Tanya if it keeps going sure. going more at dog money there. My major concern is that it's just like unquestionable that Aspen Ladd's a better athlete and that, that if her striking gets to the point where her quickness is really implemented, that I could see that being an issue in terms of just like overall – volume and and just movement but and just last thing about line movement and stuff like we expected a lot we have our our normal patterns where it's like you know you see a line in the beginning of the week like okay it's you know it's going to be either bet down or bet up by the end of the week do you think that having this these type of fighters on the card influence the amount of bets and total money that are on other ancillary fighters uh i i i I would say yes when it comes to heavy chalk because, like you said, everybody wants to put a parlay together, and so they're just going to be grabbing legs, um, whether they're smart enough to know that, okay, I, I, I'm not going for value here. I just need something to attach onto my Conor McGregor dog money play. Mm-hmm. So they're going to, you know, like a, a, a semi-more educated casual better might look at it uh, minus 200 odds by, ooh, that's what I want to grab, something around that range, you know, that that seems secure off face value, well, if the odds makers are saying so. So you'll see, like, those, like, north of minus 250 to north of minus 400 uh, lines start to creep up, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the big chalk just always seems to get higher and higher ridiculously, which is always stupid. And I'm talking about big chalk, like, minus 650, minus, uh, yeah. minus, minus 800 and upwards from there. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I would say yes for that, but you, you, I think we'd have to have. Uh, I'm trying to get. Uh, I gotta reach out. Oh, that's right. I gotta reach out to uh, a, a noted uh, line setter uh, and try to get on the show. And that that would probably be a good question for them as far as yeah, get some is. get some volume numbers. I um I follow this site called theactionnetwork.com. I don't think they do MMA tracking yet, but uh, my major my major question about that line movement. Um, I'm not sure if I explained it right. Is that like maybe the line hasn't moved as much in the Avenger fight because everyone is so focused on the other fights and that these kind of um, these plays that involve these ancillary bets just really aren't coming in in the same volume. That's why like in football, we get to see a really, uh, I don't want to call it accurate, but like a more accurate picture of the amount of bets, the amount of tickets versus the amount of money that come in yeah. on, on just individual plays. So hopefully we get, we still get some of that data coming, uh, coming forward That's pretty quickly. But, That's a good question. Yeah. I remember that. Next but just, time. Just like you mentioned with parlays and stuff, um, this is going to be the time of week where you have to embrace being uncomfortable like I mentioned earlier. But usually I don't like to play a lot of female MMA fighters because they score lower predominantly. This is the kind of week where you're going to have to play at least one I think. I think there's too many on the card in comparison to fights that we've lost. You know, There's no Sean O'Malley anymore. So yeah, that's pretty much it, man. You just got to pick your spots, have fun. But uh, don't try to don't try to play everybody. That's what I'll close close with. Just pick your spots, have fun, but don't think that you're going to c- cover every basis because there's people out there doing it at such a high level where they're playing 150 lineups. And if you think that you're able to cover it, the concept of covering basis is a, is a flawed one to begin with. That's not how you're going to win money. Right. But if you think it is. 
just remember that there are people doing it, doing 150 lineups to your two lineups or your five lineups. So that's all I got, man. <laughs> all right. We'll leave it at that, man. Thanks again for coming on, Jordan. I really appreciate it. And we're definitely going to make sure it's not as long uh, before we get you on next time for, for, for another card up here. Uh, it might not be. It might not be uh, the big Madison Square Garden card. Actually, maybe we'll just we'll bring you out, bring you on for the that. Big just one. I miss talking to you, but you know, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, I know. I, I was just, I was just, you know, taking any shot I can to to, to take a shot at that 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 uh, that, that recent decision. That's, that's <laughs> Who is that girl? How do you pronounce it? I'm not sure. Anyway, I man. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's been it's been a blast. Uh, like like Dan said, you could find me on Twitter at ordination sports drop the O or at the underscore uh, at the underscore nation of nation of podcast.com nation of recap on YouTube. We, uh, we do live streams every week right now. We're talking survivor David versus Goliath and uh, 90 day fiance where we just finished up big brother, too many podcasts, uh, too much, uh, too much of a lack of social life. I think for me and Dan over here. So I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation tonight. Yeah, definitely. You brighten up. You brighten up uh, my, my tired and cranky ass. So before my voice goes, I'll 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 see you guys uh, in a couple seconds here, podcast listeners, and I will definitely see you later, Jordan. See you, Dan. Thanks again. Easy. All right, and we're back. Big thanks to Jordan, who did great. But as you can tell uh, from hearing me, I was kind of all over the place. As uh, back to the aforementioned reason why I didn't finish recording that night. But uh, this thing looks like it's going to run out of time soon, uh, so I'm just going to go on ahead and get the fuck out of here uh, with a quick recap of just just, just, just the picks uh, from bottom to top. Taking Ryan LaFay over Tony Martin, taking Gray Meter over Nick Lentz, taking Yana Kuniskaya over Lena Landsberg, taking Alan Patrick over Scott Holtzman, taking Tanya Evander over Aspen Ladd. Uh, taking Vincente Luque over Jaglin Turner, taking Sergio Pettis over Juice Formiga, taking Felice Herrig over Michelle Waterson, taking Alexander Volkov over Derek Lewis, taking Dominic Reyes over Oven St. Peru, taking Tony Ferguson over Tony Pettis, and taking Conor McGregor over Kabudna Magomedov. Alright, you guys, good luck, whoever the fuck you're picking, I really don't care. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that impassioned breakdown. Enjoy your weekend, good luck on your picks and plays, hopefully you guys are having fun, and uh, if you're having a drink, having some good food with good company, you're placing a bet, just pouring out for your homie over here. It's been a, it's been a crazy week, and uh, of course, always protect your neck.